we interrupt this program. This is a national emergency. Important instructions will follow. The following message is transmitted at the request of the United States government. This is not a test. A nuclear attack was commenced against the United States. Fifteen nuclear bombs have detonated in several areas across the country. They include Baltimore, Boston, Chicago, Denver, Detroit, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, New York, Pennsylvania, Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, San Diego, Seattle, and Washington, D.C. At this time, all residents within a 400-mile radius of these areas should seek a fallout shelter. <coughs> mission to save mankind has failed. The 70-mile-wide asteroid known as Matilda is set to collide with Earth in exactly three weeks' time, and we'll be bringing you our countdown to the end of days, along with all your classic rock favorites. That's great, it starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes and airplanes. The world is going to end Saturday. Is it the end of the world as we know it? Looks like things are pretty bad out there, but I know uh, we should definitely check in with CNN's Anderson Cooper to find out what's going on. Hi, Anderson. Hey, Kelly and Michael. As you already know, the zombie apocalypse is upon us. The flesh eaters appear to be everywhere. What hit us? Small asteroid fragments. This morning. How big were those? Those were nothing. The size of basketballs and Volkswagens. This new one you're tracking, how big? It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. It's what we call a global killer, the end of mankind. Half the world will be incinerated by the heat blast, and the rest will freeze to death in nuclear winter. Basically the worst parts of the Bible. The governor just said we're fine now. The guy's an actor, he's reading a script. When they tell you not to panic, that's when you run! If you are hearing this broadcast, seek shelter immediately. Is it a virus? We don't know. How does it spread? Is it airborne? Airborne is a possibility. We don't know. Is this an international health hazard or a military concern? Both. Are these people alive or dead? Hold them down! We don't know. Is that true? There's a man going around taking names. And he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody will be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. Becomes one of them. 
It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. Exterminated either by destroying the brain or severing the brain from the rest of the body. The situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. What's going on? When they are exploded, they will produce a doomsday shroud. A lethal cloud of radioactivity which will encircle the earth for 93 years. Well, this is absolute madness, Ambassador. Why should you build such a thing? There are those of us who fought against it. A nuclear war could break out any minute. Apocalypse episode. Ayo, the world. It's the apocalypse episode. Oh, we're all gonna die. One of my favorite things about the apocalypse that has been said by many pastors and preppers and everything of that sort. We're closer now to the end of the world than we've ever been. It's like, oh <laughs> shit, they're right. That is definitely a true statement. It's always true. Every single time you say it. So yeah, Unless earlier, it's already <laughs> happened. Uh, Noah's on vacation this week, but it's me and Caleb here. And Hey-o. Caleb, we worked on a list a few days back. We the sure apocalypse did. checklist. So we were like, what are the ways that the world would end? And I'll just read off what we came up with. Uh, nukes. Virus. Oh, yeah. 2012. <laughs> climate change. Zombies. Book of Revelations style Armageddon. Cosmic events like solar flares, asteroids, comets. Uh, CERN. Hadron Collider. And Jim Baker's Buckets. I think the buckets are what's really yeah. going to get us. <laughs> yeah, the bucket. Yeah. You're right. So yeah, just going in the basic order of that list. Nukes are first off. So uh, what do you know about nukes? Well, they're they're big and they're bad. And they almost blew us up in the 60s. 
Yeah. And uh, we definitely don't want to all shoot them off at once. You don't want to blow your whole load of nukes at one time. Definitely. Don't ever blow the whole load. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, starting off with nukes, you know who Dave Rubin is, right? Used to be on the Young Turks. Now he does the Rubin Report. Oh, yeah. I don't really follow him or anything, but I know of Dave Rubin. Yeah, so this is... this. When I heard this clip, it made me realize that I don't really like Dave Rubin at all. The bulletin of atomic scientists say that the earth is now closer to doomsday than ever before. That's right, they've been tracking That's this right. stuff for a while. And they basically use uh, like a clock to say how close we are to pretty much destroying ourselves or the earth just destroying us or some compilation thereof. We've got some uh, info <laughs> for you. Uh, so the U.S. advocacy group founded by the creators of the atomic bomb moved their famous doomsday clock ahead two minutes. Oh my it God. said that the world is now three doomsday. minutes from a catastrophic midnight instead of five minutes. So let's just look at the timeline for a second here. So in case it isn't clear exactly what's happening here, basically they're taking our day as sort of the timeline for humanity, and then they're factoring in all these different things between global warming and nuclear weapons and other political, geopolitical things, and saying how close we are to destroying ourselves or you know, some sort of either man-made catastrophe or uh, something with the Earth getting rid of us. Uh, so 1984, they said we were three minutes away to midnight. Now that was in the heat of the Cold War, so obviously there was a threat of atomic war all the time. Okay, <laughs> this is like the dumbest right. thing I've ever heard when I... <laughs> It's it's like almost done, but like oh my god! I mean, do you are you on the same page with me? Is this is just like a waste of time? Oh yeah, this is just like so, fear mongering, uh, just kind of <laughs> yeah. Like what's this guy doing? What's what's what is this? Uh, nineteen ninety one, we were seventeen minutes, so that's seven years later, and then we were further away from destroying ourselves because nineteen ninety one things were basically pretty good. The Cold War was gone and the Earth seemed to be in a pretty good state. Uh, then <laughs> in uh, 2002, we got closer to midnight again, and this is shortly after 9-11, uh, obviously. And then, uh, as you can see, in 2012, uh, we were a little closer, and now, in 2013, three minutes to midnight. Okay, so technically, we're not three minutes away. You're gonna make it through <laughs> this video, I promise you. Um, but I, I think these things are kind of interesting. I don't and think again, anybody's we're, we're gonna doing a bunch make of science it through this video. You guys. Um, so there's some, there's some science. There's, so there's some science. <laughs> like, there's some science in what I'm um, saying. So there's some there's some science. <laughs> there's no science that here. That was dog shit. Oh my god. Yeah. Jeez, that's why I don't watch the Young Turks right there. Well, no, this is. I think this is after he left the Young Turks. It was the Rubin Report. Well, maybe it was on the Young Turks. It's probably pretty old, but that's all the same stuff. Anyway, yeah. What? Okay, so I guess we can rank these. Scale of okay. one to ten. 10 being the most likely thing that'll happen very soon to the planet and kill us all, and 1 being it's not going to happen. Uh, how likely is the nuclear <laughs> apocalypse? That's definitely up there. I mean, it is, like, because it's, like, real. We have the possibility to blow up the whole world with nukes. You know? Right. Like, all the nukes are there. It's already exists. It just has to be, you know, they all have to be detonated. I'd say that's, like, a 1 to 3. Somewhere between there. No, no, no. One is like it's not going to happen. Ten is oh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Oh, so you're thinking like a seven to ten, like a seven to ten, yeah. More specifically, though, 
Um, I'd say a nine. Okay. So we got a nine. I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with the six on that one. You're gonna go with a six. Yeah. Why do you say six? Okay, because I think. Uh, I just I think of there's way more likely. I think an asteroid impacts more likely than a nuclear apocalypse. You think so? I mean, even though the but like even though the nukes exist already, you still think an asteroid is more likely. It just hasn't. Yeah, I mean the nukes. Like if the nukes, if people were going to launch nukes, it's like mutually assured destruction. Exactly. So I feel like every that's a pretty good deterrent for everybody to not do it, and it hasn't happened yet, and we've been real close several times, but it never happened. Okay, I see which I see where you're coming from. I just think that it like likelihood, it's pretty high because it exists. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm. Since I'm not even saying there. that like a nu- like nuclear war maybe, but I'm also factoring in: is it likely to kill all life? And that's where I'm skeptical. And it isn't likely to kill like because I mean like I don't know exactly, but I've always heard cockroaches can survive nuclear blasts. So I guess you know there's <laughs> life forms that could exist, and there's plant life I guess that could exist in nuclear. I meant just I human life too. But, oh, just human life. Yeah, but I, it's just like I feel like an asteroid would be more likely to kill all human life because it would destroy the whole planet than a um, nuke would, because people have bunkers yeah. and stuff. That's true. But I, I mean, know, I'm I still not an expert. It. Okay, you have talked me down. I'm gonna move it from a nine to an eight. Okay. So eight, but that's as low as I'm going. Yeah, yeah. eight. I think if if you were gonna go, will nuclear war happen again? Then yeah, I'd say it's a nine or ten. But will it destroy all life, uh, all human life, like in an actual apocalypse? I'm not buying that one necessarily. Okay, I see what you're saying. I just think, I, I think like there's a, a good chance. No more. matter how good your bunker is, I still think there's a chance you could get killed. True. Uh, All right. So yeah, we're going with eight and six on that. Eight and six. Uh, Still staying on nukes. Gonna go uh, with a classic Doctor Strange love. All right. The the Doomsday Device. The surface of the Earth will be as dead as the moon. Ah, Come on, this sounds ridiculous. So I guess I should set this up. They're in the um, the Situation Room or the War Room in the Pentagon, and they get the Russian ambassador to like come down into the bunker, and he's telling them that if they attack Russia, Russia's doomsday device will go off, and the whole surface of the Earth will basically be like the surface of the moon is now, is what he's warning them about. It's a dead, dead rock. Yep. The surface of the Earth will be as dead as the moon. Come on, this ridiculous. Our study showed even the worst fallout is down to a safe level after two weeks. You've obviously never heard of Cabal Thorium G. Well, what about it? Cabal thorium G has a radioactive half-life of 93 years. If you take, say, 50 H-bombs in the 100 megaton range and jacket them with cabal thorium G, when they are exploded, they will produce a doomsday shroud, a lethal cloud of radioactivity which will encircle the Earth for 93 years. Oh, what a load of commie bull. I mean, after all. Afraid I don't understand something, Alexei. Is the Premier threatening to explode this if our planes carry out their attack? No, sir. 
It is not a thing a sane man would do. The doomsday machine is designed to trigger itself automatically. But surely you can disarm it somehow? No. It is designed to explode if any attempt is ever made to untrigger it. Automatically? Ah, it's an obvious commie trick, Mr. President. We're wasting valuable time. Look at the big boy. They're getting ready to clobber us. Well, this is absolute madness, Ambassador. Why should you build such a thing? There were those of us who fought against it. But in the end, we could not keep up with the expense involved in the arms race, the space race, and the peace race. So, so how likely is that to be in existence, you think? Like a doomsday dead like, man switch kind of thing? Yeah, like on a like would Russia or China have something to where if they get attacked, something will trigger that destroys the whole world, like as a deterrent to keep anyone from attacking them? Uh, to destroy the whole world, I don't think that's super likely. However, I do believe that there would be like country specific triggers that countries might have. Right. Not like the whole world, though, because. Yeah, that's, that would so the make Doomsday a lot of device sense. is like a, a, like a whole world thing. So you're saying that probably is not in place by any country? Mm, probably not. I mean, like, I'm sure, like, especially like Nazi Germany. Maybe Russia, maybe China have looked into it, but I highly doubt that they have actually built anything like that. Right. What do you think? Yeah, I would probably agree with you. They definitely haven't intentionally built anything like that unless they have, like... I mean, I guess even in this, even in Doctor Strangelove, they have a failsafe where they can just all go in bunkers if the Doomsday device goes off, so... I don't know, it's... It's all speculation, well, right? This whole this whole episode is going to be a lot of speculation as far as... Because a lot of the stuff is nobody knows. Unless absolutely. you're in the know. I mean, I could see that. I could see like there's like super wealthy people that have built countermeasures in case anything like this exists, you know? Like have right. like bunkers like in Doctor Strangelove or have like... Maybe that's one of the reasons Elon Musk is so interested in getting to Mars. That's his like bunker is Mars. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> That'd <laughs> be a case, crappy you know, bunker. Stuff hits the fan here. Our doomsday scheme cost us just a small fraction of what we've been spending on defense in a single year. But the deciding factor was when we learned that your country was working along similar lines and we were afraid of a doomsday gap. This is preposterous. I've never approved of anything like that. Our source was the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dr. Strangelove, do we have anything like that in the works? A moment, please, Mr. President. Under the authority granted me as Director of Weapons Research and Development, I commissioned last year a study of this project by the Bland Corporation. Based on the findings of the report, my conclusion was that this idea was not a practical deterrent for reasons which at this moment must be all too obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the doomsday, the doomsday idea doesn't really work. I guess the... Yeah, no, the it point. just doesn't make sense. Why would you want to blow everybody up if everybody's dead? Yeah. Like, even if you were the one person to survive, that's kind well, of bogus. Yeah. Well, also, it doesn't work when you don't announce that you have it. If it's a classified project, then the whole point, because the whole reason you would build it as a deterrent to make sure nobody ever attacks you, because if they attack you, the whole world will be destroyed. 
Definitely, yeah. But if, if you don't tell anybody, you have it. That's, it. Yeah, that's, that's the point he makes <laughs> right here. Then you mean it is possible for them to have built such a thing? Mr. President, the technology required is easily within the means of even the smallest nuclear power. It requires only the will to do so. But how is it possible for this thing to be triggered automatically and at the same time impossible to untrigger? Mr. President, it is not only possible, it is essential. That is the whole idea of this machine, you know. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. It's like the, the doomsday device only works if it can't be undone, untriggered, and it kills everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to it, build that. It makes sense as a deterrent. It's the same reason North Korea is like not giving up their nukes. It's like they don't necessarily want to nuke anybody, but they. It's like a. It's um a card to like play at the table when you don't want to get invaded or your regime change. Yeah, you're absolutely right, but it also puts a huge target on your back. Like espionage from every corner of the earth, you would have literally every other power being like, okay, this guy claims he has a world-ending device. We don't. <laughs> nobody wants that to exist. So everybody's going to do everything in their power to try to stop it. Right. So I, I think that would just put too big of a target on their back. Anybody that would actually try to do that. With North Korea, they're more like, hey, I've got a big stick yeah. too. Don't mess with me. Yeah, North if North Korea had that kind of a device, it would not go well for them. But if like China or the United States had that device, they could probably get away with it. They would still open themselves up to espionage, I would think, from everybody else. Well, there's our, To try to figure the, out what it is. Yeah, but they are, I mean, China and the United States are both already open to espionage anyway. Yeah, but I'm talking like coordinated espionage between everybody else. Right. Because it would be in everybody's best interest to figure out what they have and how to get rid of it, if it was possible to get rid of. True. True. Deterrence is the art of producing in the mind of the enemy the fear to attack. And so, because of the automated and irrevocable decision-making process, which rules out human meddling, the doomsday machine is terrifying. Yes. It's simple to understand and completely credible and convincing. Gee, I wish we had one of them doomsday machines, Dainty. A single roll of shit can store all the information. What kind of a name is that? That ain't no crowd name, is it, Stanley? He changed it when he became a citizen. It used to be McVectic Lieb. Uh, a crowd by any other name, I think. Is that the whole point of the doomsday machine? Is lost. If you keep it a secret, why didn't you tell the world, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so he, make, like, he makes a good point, which is what I was just set it up with is, yeah, the doomsday device only works as a deterrent when everybody knows that if you attack him, it gets triggered. Like if you have a top secret doomsday device, it's there's no there's no pros. It's all cons when that happens. <laughs> Yeah, there's no reason to keep it secret at that point because it is just like, well, I hope they don't attack me because then they'll blow up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You better not attack me because you'll blow up, but I'm not going to tell you that. But the main reason I like those clips is because it's 
like a direct reference to paperclip and the fact that the state department pentagon and especially nasa just hired a bunch of nazi scientists and doctors <laughs> i mean they weren't moral people but at the time they were probably the smartest people in the world they literally were building flying saucers in the 40s mm-hmm. secret bases in antarctica <laughs> i don't know if that is that one true I don't know if it's true or not. There's a couple of pictures out there that are like blurry and kind of look like a hanger. But uh, yeah, there's definitely no definitive proof saying okay. that that's real. Um, so as far as nukes go, we already decided how likely that would be to be the end of the world. You said eight out of 10, six out of 10. But what if we had to decide what country would it be that like launched the nukes first? Hmm. The trigger. I would it. say, I would say either us, the United States or China. Yeah. Because you, you hear everybody say it's going to be Iran or it's going to be North Korea, but I agree. I think it's going to be either us or China. Yeah. And especially at this point, there's probably a million countermeasures in place by, Russia, China, and the United States in case like the Middle East ever did get nuclear and decided to get a little frisky with their buttons. Right. So I, I would definitely think the only people that would be capable of shooting them off, having successful launches and detonations would be China or the United States. Yeah, well, Maybe it, Russia. Yeah, may, maybe. Only if Russia maybe. got backed into a bad corner. Definitely. But, they uh, don't really have a reason to right now. No one's fighting them. They're not fighting anybody, really. Yeah, it's all proxy wars in yeah. like Syria and Yemen. But um, yeah, if, if you listen to the news and the quote unquote experts, though, it's always either uh, it's it's always either North Korea or Iran, but usually North Korea that's going to like start off a nuclear a war. A nuclear war could break out any minute. That warning from North Korea's deputy ambassador to the United Nations. He told a UN committee Monday that his country has been subjected to, quote, an extreme and direct nuclear threat from the United States. The deputy ambassador also warned that all of the North American mainland is within their firing range. Things have been more than tense between the U.S. and North Korea thanks to increasingly tough U.N. sanctions and the war of rhetoric between President Trump and Kim Jong-un, trading insults like Rocket Man and Mentally Deranged. <laughs> oh, Forgot man. about Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Yeah, I could see North Korea. Maybe they would start some sort of conflict with a like a small nuclear weapon. But I just I, I see them being too contained and they're too too close to China to really like China's get any bitch, really. Yeah. They're just China's bitch. Like China yeah. plate uses them as like a a pawn in their chess game for sure. They pretty much use them like a like a black market for all the stuff that they don't want to actually be accused of doing. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Like um, they got like the fields of like people that you don't even get to see. Yeah, I just the North Korea thing is is weird because it seems like uh, nothing. All the like horrible fear mongering over the first couple years of Trump's presidency, where it was like Trump's going to start a war with him, and it turned out he's gotten closer to peace deals than the last five presidents combined with yeah. North Korea. It's like I don't see North Korea as doing anything crazy in the near future. Oh, definitely not. They don't have a reason to. Plus, if China doesn't okay it, they're definitely not going to. 
Yeah, yeah, true. But uh, Joe Biden doesn't agree. President Trump's foreign policy, you've alluded to this during the conversation, the tweets, the rhetoric on North Korea. You said yesterday, you've said it again now, it's dangerous. The former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Mike Mullen, said over the weekend that the United States has never been this close, as close as it is now, to nuclear war. Do you agree with him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you agree with him? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> she asked this like two minute long question and then here's his response. I did not make it longer of a wake time. This is actually just unedited right here. Do you agree with him? Yeah, I do. Um, and that's why I think that uh, what I worry about, and I've worried from the beginning, is about fundamental miscalculations. This is not a business deal. This is not who builds the next skyscraper. This is not about my uh, telling my subs I'm not going to pay them. This is a totally different dynamic. We know that he inherited, as we did, an incredibly difficult problem in North Korea. One of the two things we spent most time briefing the new incoming administration about. Um, there are no easy answer. But we also know that um, there is no answer in a nuclear exchange, and which, God forbid, could happen if they attack the United States or our allies. But we also know that the answer lies somewhere in cabining the capacity and inclination of the North working with China. Oh, hey, pause that real what quick. Is, what did he, he mean by cabining? That's kind of, that's kind of disturbing. He yeah. said, uh, he said he, uh, there's the possibility that there could be a nuclear exchange between us, meaning that Joe Biden's ready to launch nukes. Like he's already yeah, thought about it. But this was before he was running for president, though. But it doesn't matter. He was vice president. He's already thought about it. And he's like, he's totally down for nuclear exchange. Oh, yeah, because he's going to be in his little bunker. Like. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. We also know that the answer lies somewhere in cabining the capacity. So cabining the capacity. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know. I was going to ask you cabining the capacity and inclination of the North working with China, Russia, South Korea, and Japan. When we engage in activities like, let's compare the button, <laughs> they all, for different reasons and different motivations, lose confidence in us. They wonder, do we know what the hell we're doing? I'm worried they then decide they're gonna try separate ways to figure out how to do this. This can't be done. In a way that uh, doesn't have all the players in the game on the same page. And um, I, uh, I just think that, uh, and the other thing is, you know, <laughs> you draw these lines and you don't respond. Total, total 180. You diminish your credibility. And uh, it's just dangerous.
dangerous. Mm. Button comparisons. Button comparisons are dangerous. Trump's Don't be like, comparing buttons. Kim Jong-un's like, I got a red button, and Trump's like, I got a bigger red button. Button comparisons are dangerous. It's like being in the locker room. red button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, mine's ten and a half. Well, mine's three feet. Oh, yeah, see? That's dangerous. Can't do that. It's too big. Since the dawn of the nuclear age in the 1940s, global stability has rested on a certain set of assumptions. Most of the world's nuclear capability was split between the U.S. and Russia, and the umbrella of American protection meant that its allies didn't have to develop nukes of their own. That appears to be changing. President Trump has famously been less hawkish about standing up to Russia. Now the European Union is reportedly considering a nuclear deterrent of its own and sharing France's weapons between member countries. The situation in Asia is even more unsettled. North Korea is fanatically pursuing its own arsenal of nuclear-tipped ballistic missiles. On Monday, it test-launched four of the rockets into the ocean, just 200 miles shy of Japan. And the American president has unconventional ideas about how Japan should prepare. North Korea has nukes. Japan has a problem with that. I mean, they have a big problem with it. Maybe they would, in fact, be better off if they defend themselves from North Korea. Maybe with we nukes. would be better off, including with nukes, yes. <laughs> so Trump's like, Japan, man, get yourself some nukes, bro. There's one country on this earth that deserves to have some nuclear weapons. It's probably Japan. <laughs> yeah, the only country that like got <laughs> tons of their civilians and women and children killed with nukes. Yeah, they probably yeah. should. They should probably get some nukes. Death. <laughs> That's a good point. Most, most death. <laughs> yeah. Bill Perry has spent most of his life watching the world prepare for nuclear war, and he thinks we aren't nearly as scared as we should be. I think the professionals in the field have a pretty good understanding of the impact of the use of nuclear weapons, but the general public certainly does not, and many of our leaders do not. Perry's 89 years old. He lectures at Stanford, launched an online seminar last year, and travels the world two or three months a year to talk about how close we've come to catastrophe and how close we still are. He often talks about his nightmare scenario, where a small amount of enriched uranium ends up in the hands of a terrorist group. If they had maybe 40 kilograms, they could make an improvised nuclear bomb. But what would be the consequences? The consequences of a 15 kiloton bomb would be Hiroshima. And besides the 80,000, 100,000 casualties, the social, the political, and the economic consequences are just really hard to believe. How realistic is this, though? Isn't this just some sci-fi fantasy fear? I think of all of the nuclear catastrophes that could happen, this is the most probable. I think, I would say, it's probably an even chance this will happen sometime in the next 10 years. An even chance? Even chance. Sometime in the next 10 years. Even chance with what? 50-50 chance that there's a nuclear war in the next 10 years. Oh, that's what... Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a former See, Clinton... I mean, he agrees with me. He's an expert. <laughs> he's most a likely. For, well, he's a former Clinton administration uh, official, but he's like an expert in uh, nuclear war and nuclear treaties and stuff. Okay. See, I don't know. I don't think it's as high as 50-50, but... Then again, I'm not an expert like he is, so. Yeah, I mean, to me, once again, same as you, not an expert. 
but I'd say it's one of the highest chances of uh, actually happening. Probably the other being like a worldwide virus or something. Yeah, the virus seemed, the biological weapons seem like a more likely thing for me. But, uh, so he said, like, there used to be way more nukes than there are now. So my question yeah. was, like, where did those nukes go? Did we, like, shoot them into space? Like, how did we get oh. rid of all these nuclear bombs? Actually, I know a little bit of, like, at least how the U.S. got rid of some of them. Okay. Um, and at, uh, at the ORNL labs in Oak Ridge, one of the things they, um, after World War II and everything, I think it was sometime in, like, the 70s or the 80s, the big focus that they did went from developing um, nuclear weapons and nuclear devices to dismantling and safely um, safely dismantling the nuclear devices and getting rid of the nuclear waste. Huh. And that's that's their big focus now, too, is just dismantling. That's like 80% of what they do is dismantling, not just nuclear weapons, but any kind of nuclear device or any device with any kind of radiation on it, figuring out how to safely get rid of that. I'm assuming they repurpose the nuclear waste for something oh, the else. Nucle the nuclear waste pretty much gets contained. They just put it in like kind of like giant containers. It's no longer like uh, it's no longer volatile. It's not going to explode or anything. But right. if you like get in the vat of the nuclear stuff, you're going to die. Well, dang. You just they, like keep it contained. So that's right. one of the ways. I mean, I'm sure there's other ways too that they've been getting rid of them. But I do know for a fact that's one of the things that ORNL does. Well, that's I learned something new there because I was wondering, like, okay, what did you do with the nukes <laughs> that you supposedly got rid of? Yeah, the, that was part my, of the my brain just immediately went it? to like shooting them into space. No, that's illegal. Well, they did it. They a, they blew up a bunch of hydrogen and nuclear bombs in the upper atmosphere in the '60s. So, uh, jettisoning anything into space is like uh, there's some sort of worldwide treaty where that's illegal. You can't. Um, but we do that all the you time. Can't, uh no, not into outer space. Like yeah, you put like, like what, uh, well, uh, unless you think they're faking putting the rovers on Mars and sending satellite or sending oh, like stuff out to no, Neptune like, and Pluto. There's approved. There's approved stuff like crafts, like vessels and stuff can go out into space that have specific purposes. But you can't like jettison trash. You can't like shoot your waste out into space. You <laughs> can't, can't just blow, blow your load missiles out in space. <laughs> can't blow your load out in space. Well, the U.S. <laughs> you can't, <just laughs> the can't US. blow your whole load out in space. <laughs> I'm going to give you the whole load today. I'm going to give you the whole load. <laughs> you may desperately want to dismiss Perry as an alarmist, but he's a renowned expert, often called upon by world leaders. I met him in Mexico City, where he was attending the celebration of a 50-year-old nuclear ban treaty and running a closed-door planning meeting for top nuclear proliferation experts from around the world, known as the Group of Eminent Persons. They made us turn off the camera. The truth is, the chance of a nuclear war is not what it once was. In the late 80s, there were 70,000 nukes around the world. Today, there are only about 15,000. So it's down 2,000. I thought he said there were about 70,000. Oh, did he say 70? Or 17. Maybe he said 17. Off the camera. The truth is, the chance of a nuclear war is not what it once was. In the late 80s, there were 70,000 nukes around the world. 70. Oh, you're right, 70. Today, there are only about 15,000. So you, so they got rid of 
55,000 nukes worldwide. Apparently. And I don't know if I from bought what that. I understand. I, maybe, maybe they actually did. That number also could be inflated because I assume, especially during the Cold War, a lot of the countries were lying about the amount of nuclear weapons they had. That's part, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's say if they it's say like, that there it's, was it's kind of like when you're like three inches, you tell everybody six. Oh, yeah. And then you like get the angles right if you ever take a picture, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Same get thing the with lighting the lighting and the angles. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. Get that wide angle lens. <laughs> Are there things you see with President Trump that concern you? Yes. I think. Unlike President Obama, he doesn't have a clear understanding of what the nuclear issues are and what the nuclear dangers are. Secondly, I think he's demonstrated an impulsive temperament. The first of them is solvable. We can learn more if he cares to do it. The temperament issue, I'm afraid, is, is just there. And that's why, at the age of almost 90, you're here in Mexico City and not on a golf course. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, one person can only do so much, and I think I do more than most. You can scare us better than most. I can scare you. You deserve to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> so, the former Bill Clinton official, you deserve to be scared. All right, thanks. Are you spooked yet? <laughs> you better be spooked. Yeah, so, I don't know. Like I honestly, before I was pulling clips and research. My um, my estimate of the likelihood of a nuclear war was probably higher. It was probably closer to an eight, but I just didn't find anybody convincing that says it's going to happen. It's like the okay, same people. So let me let me ask you this then, because you say that what was the thing that deterred you? Like made you made the number go down? See, mainly the main thing was seeing all these people. Um, even South Park fell into the trap with the "put it down" episode. Whereas, like, Trump's tweets with North Korea and Trump's dealing with North Korea is going to cause a nuclear war. Trump's going to start a nuclear war with Iran. And it's like the, none of that. It was like the opposite of what all these experts, quote unquote, that are saying, like, Trump's temperament is going to start a nuclear war. Like, the opposite always happened. Because now we have, you know, that was a two, three years ago, a lot of that. So now we have the hindsight of seeing how their predictions panned out. Yeah. And so, so you're I, just saying based on the, so what really made you think that it was the less likelihood was that the, the quote-unquote experts said Trump's going to cause a nuclear war potentially and, it, the, and it's like we got more peace treaties than we had with Bush and Obama. So it's like, uh, it, it's just, I'm not saying it can't happen. That's why I still gave it a 6 out of 10 on 10 being it's going to happen. Yeah. But it like before I went down the rabbit hole, I would have probably been closer to an eight. Okay. I, I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, that's been predicted. It's been, pre like, I guess a nuclear war has been pretty much predicted since, like, the 60s. Right. And it's never happened, and we've only gotten farther away from it. And if somebody's trying to kill a bunch of people, or if you're just at war, it seems like a biological weapon would be way easier to pull off and way easier to get away with because it's not as obvious who pulled the trigger. Like we have sat, all the countries have satellite imagery. They can see who launched a nuke. It's way easier to mm -hmm. get away with launching a bioweapon or a virus. 
and there's no cure for nuclear radiation. Like once you're exposed, you're pretty much dead. No, you got with I, a biological I, bro, you weapon. You can make a cure man. beforehand. What'd you say? Your iodine tablets, bro. Oh yeah, that's right. Get your official Infowars iodine tablets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that about wraps up the <laughs> nuclear apocalypse. So. Uh, next on the list, I guess, is the religious apocalypse, Armageddon, into the world, biblical shit. Biblical times begin now. Do you do you remember? Uh, I didn't even pull any clips for this because it would just be like a pastor talking. But uh, do you remember the movie This Is the End? Um, like Seth Rogen. That the one with like. They yeah, all play themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Dan McBride, Seth Rogen, James Franco, Jonah Hill, Michael Cera, like they all play themselves, like, and the world ends. It ends up like the actual true biblical apocalypse happens by the end of the movie. You realize that, like, the Bible was real. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they end up, uh, like, everybody dies, the world ends, and then they go to heaven, and then uh, the Backstreet Boys are there <laughs> yeah. or something. Well, James Franco and Dan McBride go to hell. Most most everybody goes to hell. It's like Craig Robinson, Seth Rogen, and um, Jay Baruchel go to hell, and everybody else, like even James Franco, went to hell in that movie. Kevin Hart, <laughs> Kevin Hart went to hell. Rihanna. Well, so far most of that checks out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, the biblical apocalypse. I don't have, I don't have that much. Uh, I don't have that much good shit. I mean, this is pure speculation, though, you know? Right. Like most of it is. Yeah. Like, the the biblical apocalypse still more likely than the climate change apocalypse in my book. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> and, I mean, it really depends on who you talk to, too, um, exactly what the biblical apocalypse would look like. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, 12 plus different denominations of Christianity that all disagree on what the book of Revelations meant. Exactly. But every, people that, outside of Christianity, every religion has their apocalypse predictions, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, some people don't even believe, like, uh, like how Left Behind portrayed, like, people, like, leaving their clothes the behind and everything like that. There's <laughs> Yeah, like, the rapture like that. There's a lot of people that don't even, inside of Christianity, that don't believe there's going to be a rapture. I've read the book of Revelations all the way through at least five times minimum, and I don't see any evidence of the left-behind chronology of how the rapture is going to work. It seems like it's they, like they act like the rapture is just going to happen suddenly one day, but chronologically, if you read the book of Revelations, it seems like it's going to happen after the big test and the antichrist and the mark of the beast and all that after that is when the rapture happens if you're reading it in yeah. order but um yeah i mean it's it's not just biblical terms i mean we had the mayan calendar 2012 yeah they predicted that the world was going to end in 2012 uh, obviously and, well i shouldn't say obviously but it looks like that didn't happen unless it ended and we're in a new timeline it's true, <laughs> but thanks to the thanks to the Mayans, we had the John Cusack Woody Harrelson movie 2012, where the world ends, 
and it's basically just John Cusack driving a car, driving a limo, flying a plane, and then driving an RV while the entire world collapses into the core of the earth and skyscrapers are falling down, uh, the super volcano erupts, asteroids hit the earth, and everything just collapses in on itself. All the major so cities like of the world are destroyed. All, every kind of Armageddon that could happen all happens at the same time. Yeah, because it's 2012. Dun, dun, dun. Hello? Kate, stop what you're doing. Jackson? Listen to me. I've rented a plane. Pack up the kids. I'm going to be there in five plane? minutes. What are, you, what are you talking about? Kate, California is going down. God, you sound like a crazy person. The governor just said we're fine now. The guy's an actor. He's reading a script. When they tell you not to panic, that's when you run. Okay, could you call me back when you calm down? In this beautiful state of ours. Mommy, why are you sounding so crazy? Finish your pancakes. It seems to me that the worst is over. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! So John Kuzak pulls in and he's all like, oh shit, like I was right. All the buildings are collapsing and the earth is sinking into itself. And so they all get in this limo and they drive and they keep driving and for like the next 10 minutes they keep driving and barely missing things. Like skyscrapers are falling over, the sinkholes are opening up in the road and John Cusack is driving his family through it all with perfect precision. He's doing great. John Cusack's doing fantastic. He's driving, everybody's going, whoa, 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 what do we do, what do we do? And John Cusack keeps driving, keeps driving this limo that he, for some reason that he had got a limo. I don't know why he has a limo, but he's driving his limo. And he's driving this limo through an entire collapsing city. And he's doing it perfectly, all to get to the plane. And they get to the plane. And to the Santa Monica airport, where the plane is. And then they get in the plane, and then they drive the plane and the plane, the runway starts falling apart while the plane's landing from the runway, trying to take off from the runway, the plane's falling apart, and the runway collapses into the earth into a bottomless black hole, but they make it out, and they fly, <laughs> and they fly away, <laughs> and then, like, for the rest of the movie, they're in a plane, and the world's collapsing, they make it to Yellowstone, and then the Yellowstone volcano erupts, and Woody Harrelson's like, I've been predicting this would happen because I'm a conspiracy theorist, Wow. Yeah. That's the movie. That's okay. pretty much the movie. It ends with like the whole world, everybody gets killed, basically. It's crazy that movie was PG 13. Well, I know who I'm going to go try to find if the world starts in. John Cusack. John Cusack. <laughs> and Woody Harrelson gonna, also. And Woody Harrelson. I'm just going to hang out with them. <laughs> John Cusack blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> What'd you do to him? Uh, he used to be like super pro WikiLeaks and pro Assange and anti-war and then Trump got elected and now all he does is talk about how WikiLeaks is working with Russia and how Trump's a Russian asset. And so uh -oh. I tweeted at him that he was like, I was tongue in cheek about it, but I basically, in so many words, called him a shill and he blocked me. Wow. Yeah. Can't have any negativity on your timeline, man. <laughs> so, uh... Not many clips on the biblical apocalypse but or 2012, but that's because there's not that many good clips about it unless you want a pastor like Jim Baker talking.
True. Really, all it is is a bunch of people speculating about what they think could happen and then asking for money. Oh, kind of like the climate change apocalypse. Kinda. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> Same with the thing's going to happen and then asking for money, even though their scientific models can't even prove with any kind of accuracy what the next week's weather is going to be. They know what it's going to be like in 100 years, for sure. Definitely seems to be in that field a lot of speculation, mostly geared at getting funding. Yeah, and a lot it's of perfect with Jim on. Baker because he's tax-free, baby. He's running a church. Oh, yeah. So he's essentially a charity. Cu- he'll sell you a couple buckets it. of food for a couple thousand dollars. Oh, yeah, like three, three, four thousand dollars for three months worth of food. But it's a donation to the church, so, you know, it's tax-free. You're helping the ministry. <laughs> helping them get the word out about his buckets. <laughs> so uh, we crossed off nukes, and we kind of crossed off the Armageddon uh, religious apocalypse. But that's just because, I mean, how much time are we going to spend on something? Uh, like, uh, the main thing we would do for that is read Bible verses or listen to a pastor talk about it. So can't spend too yeah. much time on that. But uh, I, I, I like on the one to ten scale, I put it right in the middle at a five. Oh, like a biblical apocalypse, or not just biblical, yeah. but any kind of religious apocalypse, five. like a arm, like Armageddon kind of thing. Like I'll, a, I'll, I'll go with you on a five. So it's five, five and five on that. Yeah, Less likely right than a nuclear Could apocalypse. Happen? This is one of the most likely outcomes. I feel like is a a pandemic or a pandemic. Either way. So uh, check I, in with. I would have to agree with that. This is the most likely, in my opinion. But yeah, you're good old uh, sci-fi, the sci-fi show where you should get most of your information. Absolutely. It's a sci-fi network. They remember they used to spell it S C I F I sci-fi, like science yeah. fiction. But then at some point, do you remember when this change happened? They switched it to S Y F Y. Sci-fi. Yeah, they switched it. They switched it right around the same time that ECW went to sci-fi. Yep. Yep. That's what happened. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but that was about the same time that it switched. If you're going to learn about pandemics, you might as well do it from uh, Joe Rogan, the most right? reputable source around. The most reputable source around. He doesn't just parrot talking points ever. He does his own research. Yep. Never. He's never taken a large (laughs) chunk of money to say something. (laughs) No, that would never happen. But here's a pandemic. Joe Rogan questions everything on the Sci-Fi Network. Tonight, MERS, SARS, bird flu, mutating superbugs are threatening to wipe out mankind. Do we think we rule the planet? No. They rule the planet. Their attack is always vicious. The majority of the exposed people will die. It could lead to a viral Armageddon, a biopocalypse. If you've got the lab, if you've got the scientists necessary, effectively you could come up with a zombie-type virus. Did you know you could come up with a zombie-type virus if you had the lab? Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, you know, this thing that's been talked about for, I don't know, 100 years, 50 years at least, whatever Dawn of the Dead came out. Oh, Night of the Living Dead was when, like, officially the current interpretation of zombies happened. Yeah, that was in the 60s? Yeah. 
Yeah, so like maybe fi- late 50, 50s at the earliest. Yeah, you could even argue it was um, <clears throat> 70 years, but it's, I mean, it's, I mean, come on. Yeah, it's out there. And I mean, like anybody, like if you have the know-how to do pretty much anything and the money, the facility and the people, I mean, I don't think it'd be that hard to actually, like you said, to actually build a virus or whatever that can make people into zombies. Oh, okay. So you're, okay. I I kind of agree with that too, but I'll, I'll, I'd be surprised when it actually happens. Oh, it probably won't ever. It wouldn't benefit hardly anybody. Like, there wouldn't really be a reason to. Whoa. Whoa. And it could Whoa. be your next door neighbor who starts it all. You need a table and a sink, and that's a laboratory. Once the biopocalypse strikes, we may not know what hit us. What the hell is that? Until it's too late. You're going to have a huge death toll before you ever catch up with it. Well, I mean, I guess I kind of agree with what they said there. I don't think you could really make it in a kitchen, like he said. I think it would take a lot of time, like a lot of time. But that was a real guy. That was a real scientist. He was like, has a degree and stuff. And he said, all you need is a a sink and a kitchen table, and you can make a virus. Well, I think what he said was, if you have a sink and a kitchen table, that's a lab, which I guess is technically true. Because really all you need is water and a surface. But uh, yeah, big oversimplification. I don't really think you can make a zombifying virus with just a sink and a table. (laughs) Well, here's the former Homeland Security head of WMD surveillance uh, being interviewed by Joe Rogan. Counterterrorism folks will tell you that they believe that the bio threat is the biggest one facing us right now. What intelligence do we have as far as how much progress they've made in terms of engineering some sort of a new virus? If you've got the lab, if you've got the scientists necessary, I mean, effectively you could come up with a zombie type virus. Whoa. Whoa. You know, Whoa. Something like a rabies virus that's manipulated with something else. So like a 28 days later type scenario. If it's well-resourced enough and they're the right people with the right knowledge, then you've got a real problem. So these type of labs have the capability of producing a pandemic virus. There's a lot of classified information out there, but the CIA, they've been following this. They have determined that there are some that have been able to develop some dangerous pathogens from scratch. With a high- Did you hear that? Dangerous pathogens from scratch? Yeah, it's the CIA, so grain of salt, but they're saying people in their own homemade labs have been able to manipulate and create their own viruses. So if some random schmuck with a lab can do it in their own house, probably means that governments can make chimera hybrid viruses, which we know they have, they've admitted they have, but it seems like that happens more frequently than we'd like to imagine. Well, that was what that guy said there was, he, he said that they have seen evidence of it, but, I mean, he didn't give any specifics. There's he's, not, he's from like, Homeland a lot security, of press man. George, around this George kind of Bush stuff. made Homeland Security. You going to question George Bush? 
Probably. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> Some dangerous pathogens from scratch, whether hybrid or designer or the next influenza pandemic virus and then spreading it around. That's got the greatest potential for killing a lot of people outside of a, a small tactical nuclear weapon. Small tactical, tact, uh, small tactical nuclear weapon. Nowhere as much as a dude with a sink in a kitchen table. Sink in a kitchen table is more deadly. Time to ban it. No, almost, almost as deadly. Almost. He said it was the only thing besides short of a nuclear weapon. So True. it's like a sink at a at a kitchen table is like almost second almost fiddle to to a, <laughs> yeah. to a new, small nuclear weapon. That's true. Well, basically okay. the same thing, though. Considering we're in the height of uh, the the peak fear-mongering about a virus. All that, oh, yeah. all that aside, where would you put it as a scale of 1 to 10? Like, 1, it's not going to kill anybody. 10, it's going to kill everybody. Where does virus land on it? Whether it's man-made or natural. Not, not the current pandemic we're going through. Any of them. Man-made, naturally occurring. How likely is a virus, man-made or natural, to wipe out all of humankind. I would put that at a nine. I'm going to agree with you. As long as you, yeah, if, if you have the stipulation of any kind of virus, whether it's a bioweapon or a naturally occurring, like that, I'd put it at a nine. Yeah. Well, there's been naturally occur like uh, the bubonic plague, like that killed what, like a third of the people or something. Right. And oh, that I was just, just we, from rats. Uh, that was just from people eating infected rats or getting or being around infected rats. I don't remember if it was bites or eating them or it was. Uh, it was the fleas that were on the rats. I think is how it oh. switched. Like the rats okay. had fleas, and the fleas got to people and spread it. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure that's how that worked. So I uh, we gave uh, we both gave Book of Revelations a five. Yeah, or any kind of biblical or religious apocalypse. But we forgot to mark 2012. The world ending on 2012, chance of 1 to oh, 10. That's obviously a, a zero. A, okay, yeah. I'm going to go with zero as well. Just on the, be on the safe side of history. <laughs> yeah. Considering so we're, we are, we're eight years past that point. <laughs> so now we're on to climate change. Which, uh, let's They're be honest, the freaking these, frogs <laughs> climate change is the biggest threat that's ever faced mankind, hands down. And that's been rhetoric for 50 years. Yeah, it was going to be global. In the 70s, they said it was global cooling, uh, like if there was going to be a new ice age, but then it was global warming 20 years later. Mm -hmm. And now it's just climate change because they're like, well, we can't say hot or cold. It's just going to change, you know? Yeah, it's climate change, which the climate, I mean, like <laughs> anybody that like like climate history or whatever, you can look back and th see uh, cooling and heating points throughout history. So yeah, saying most, climate the, change is basically saying everything's going to keep staying the way it is. Yeah, the, the most drastic and extreme short term, like the quickest climate events that ever happened, like the abrupt ending of the ice age or even the starting of the ice age like to where north america was covered in two miles of ice two miles high or a mile to two miles high of ice stuff like that 
that happened um, way before people had cars that emitted CO2. So, oh yeah, but we still got it. And that know, was uh, that was mostly from volcanic ash. From everything I've looked into, like right. the the ash that the volcanoes were spewing in the air, were causing all the CO2, which was blocking part of the sun. Yeah, and um, asteroid impacts likely as well. I mean, even mainstream science says that's what made the dinosaurs go extinct, if you buy that. So. Yeah. Are we including asteroid impact with climate change? No, no. Cli when, I, when I put down climate change, climate change is man-made. Okay. Oh, man-made climate change. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Just yeah, because cosmic events, asteroids would fall under that. That's coming up later. Well, I mean, because, okay, that's a that's a difference then because if we're talking just man-made climate change, that's different than just any kind of climate change because let's say all the volcanoes in the world erupt at the same time. Everybody's, not everybody, but most people are probably going to die. Well, Yellows, yeah, Yellowstone would kill half the United States population if that blows. That's a super volcano. Yeah. Yeah, just like the Yellowstone, and I think there's a few other super volcanoes out there. Like if they all erupt at the same time, that's going to change the atmosphere. That's going to change the amount of light getting to the earth. That's going to change a whole bunch of stuff. and That would be catastrophic. Yeah, I wouldn't put that under... Yeah, the reason I called it climate change is uh, <laughs> that's what the uh, people who want yeah, to uh, make to, to tax everybody, and that's what they call it. I could have called it yeah, global warming, but... The eco-warrior uh, version of climate change. Yeah. So here's National like Geographic causes and effects of climate change. Nat Geo. Hey, Will. Human hey, Will. activities from pollution to overpopulation are driving up the Earth's temperature and fundamentally changing the world around us. The main <laughs> cause is a phenomenon known as the greenhouse effect. Gases in the atmosphere, such as water vapor, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, and chlorofluorocarbons, let the sun's light in, but keep some of the heat from escaping, like the glass walls of a greenhouse. The more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, the more heat gets trapped, strengthening the greenhouse effect and increasing the Earth's temperature. Human <laughs> okay, so... First of all, do they understand a greenhouse? There's a reason they call it a greenhouse, because it helps grow plants, which inhale co2 and exhale oxygen that's true um what they're yeah like the greenhouse effect i mean at a certain point you can't have too much heat in your greenhouse otherwise you'll start to have adverse effects so you have to be able to control the level of heat that's getting in and the level of airflow and you have to be able to cool your greenhouse during the hot points well, that's i'm where taking the SAIs a, come currently in. a horticulture major so i've actually been learning a lot about greenhouses that's where the SAIs come in, bro. The SAIs? Stratospheric aerosol injections. Oh, that. That's absolutely nonsense. That is... That, Why that's are they doing not that in all. most countries, though? They have talked about doing it. As far as I know, no one has actually tried doing that because it's super dangerous. No, they admit, they admit they're doing it. Uh, John Brennan, head of the CIA, said they've been working on it for a while. They've been working on a plan to do it, is what I understand, not actually implementing it yet, because they got to be able to do it safely, and so that the aerosols that they inject into the air, like, don't just stay there and burn up the ozone layer or 
whatever else they can do. It doesn't. Are, I don't think they're actually. These are the I mean, same government institutions that blew up hydrogen and nuclear bombs in the upper atmosphere. Why would spraying some chemtrails really be that big of a deal to these people? Oh, because what they're talking about with doing that is like a massive amount of it. It's not like a. Well, they they admit right, they've done it on a small scale. So you're saying they're not doing it on a massive scale? Yeah, not on the scale of being able to affect uh, like the upper atmosphere and stuff. Like the way that he was talking about it, where they needed like what was it like a trillion dollars or something for the plan to do it? It was basically just something they threw out there. It's like, hey, maybe this will work, and then everybody. Like pretty much anybody in the scientific community around that stuff was like, no, this needs to be like a last resort plan. This does not need to be what we start with. Um, I, <laughs> you're gonna have to send me some sources of people I'll, saying I'll try that to, it's a bad I'll find idea. Some, I'll try to find some uh, some stuff to back up what I'm saying, but I'm pretty sure that's the way it is. It, to me, it's like there's two c camps that I've seen. It's either people that deny that it's happening, even though we have documents for patents and people saying that they've tried it so far in multiple governments. And then you have, yeah, you have the people denying that it's happening and then the people saying it's a bad thing and it's going to like block out the sun and destroy photosynthesis and like their toxic heavy metals being sprayed in the quote unquote chemtrails. I've not seen anybody say, yeah, that's the idea. Like, I've not seen any scientists say, like, yeah, that's the plan, but it's a bad plan. It's either somebody is all on board with that plan and saying it's happening, or, or somebody saying, yeah, that plan's happening, but we need to not do it. Yeah, okay, well, the chemtrails are a little different than the SAI. The SAI. Because SAI is, like, basically, like you said, like how they detonated a bomb, or detonated hydrogen bombs down the street. They'd have to detonate or inject um, the aerosol into the, the atmosphere level to try to release some of the um, greenhouse gases. I think that was the idea behind it. Chemtrails would be like from a plane. They'd be like on a much, much smaller scale where the idea wasn't for it to hang in the atmosphere. The idea was for it to sink to the earth, you know, sink to the ground. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Honestly, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I'm not an expert in it. That's just my understanding of the of the subject. I'm not saying I'm right. I just we should do a whole episode on chemtrails. Yeah, definitely. That sounds fun. We, yeah, so we'll we'll put a uh, post-it note on on this and keep moving with what National Geographic says what the cause and effect of climate change is. But keep Nat some of the heat from escaping, like the glass walls of a greenhouse. The more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, the more heat gets trapped, strengthening the greenhouse effect and increasing the Earth's temperature. Human activities, like the burning of fossil fuels, have increased the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere by more than a third since the Industrial Revolution. The rapid increase in greenhouse gases in the atmosphere has warmed the planet at an alarming rate. While Earth's climate has fluctuated in the past, atmospheric carbon dioxide hasn't reached today's levels in hundreds of thousands of years. Climate change has consequences for our oceans, our weather, our food sources, and our health. Ice sheets, such as Greenland and Antarctica, are melting. 
The extra water that was once held in glaciers causes sea levels to rise and spills out of the oceans, flooding coastal regions. Warmer temperatures also... So first of all, that still hasn't happened, even though they've been saying it's going to happen for forever. Oh, excuse me. The coastal yeah, regions no, are flooded. No, that's really been happening. Yeah. And, and uh, it's kind of cliche to bring it up, but it's an accurate statement that... If all these big pushers saying that like climate change is going to happen, like Soros, Bill Gates, Obama, and you know the list goes on and on, why are you guys all driving this fear that causes coastal properties to lower in value, and then they all buy they all buy mansions on the coastal areas or on islands? It's like that if is you, true. If you think this shit's going to happen and it's going to uh, and it's like that shit's all going to be underwater, why did you just all after you hyped it up and made the property value go down, why did you all buy that shit up, that property up, the mansions up? Got to buy it while it's there. Yeah. It's fucking bullshit is what it is. Also make weather more extreme. This means not only more intense major storms, floods and heavy snowfall, but also longer and more frequent droughts. These changes in weather pose challenges. Growing crops becomes more difficult. The areas where plants and animals can live shift and water supplies are diminished. In addition to creating new agricultural challenges, climate change can directly affect people's physical health. In urban areas, the warmer atmosphere creates an environment that traps and increases the amount of smog. This is because smog contains ozone particles which increase rapidly at higher temperatures. Exposure to higher levels of smog can cause health problems such as asthma, heart disease, and lung cancer. While the rapid rate of climate change is caused by humans, humans are also the ones who can combat it. If we oh, work to replace the happy fossil music comes fuels in. with renewable oh, energy sources like solar happiness. and wind, which don't produce greenhouse gas emissions, we might still be able to prevent some of the worst effects of climate change. Uh, yeah, thanks, Nat Geo. Humans caused it, but humans can fix it, man. All we gotta do is pay more taxes. That'll get it all fixed, right? Yay, more taxes. <laughs> In our series, the 2020s, can you believe that? We're exploring the big topics that will dominate the conversation in the next decade. Well, today our focus is on climate change over the- What? What? CBS News is focuses on climate change? Who would have thunk it? Last 10 years, sea levels have risen at an alarming rate. Biodiversity is reportedly declining faster than that of any time in human history. Citation needed. And millions Millions of people have been affected by extreme weather like hurricanes and floods. As 2019 ends, this year is likely to be one of the hottest on record. So what can we expect over the next decade? CBS News meteorologist and climate specialist Jeff Berardelli is here to explain. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Yeah. I know we hear climate change. We do think doom and gloom. Uh -huh. The world's coming to an end uh -huh. relatively quickly. Um, but what are some of the technological advancements and innovation should we be looking at to help improve the issue of climate change. So this is the best part, right? Sometimes you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's not much I can do for you. Right. We know the answer. Mm -hmm. And the answer is to move away from fossil fuels and start leaning on sustainable energy. And here's the best part. 
the more we use sustainable energy, which is, you know, this energy that's given to us by the sun and the wind, it is free. The more that the price it's free. This dude's so excited to talk about it's this stuff. It's free. Free. The sun and the wind, it's free. For now. Yeah. And also, like, even building windmills and building solar panels are also free. Just like building free. oil mining. Just like building the drills to oil mine. Those are also free. It's like, what are you talking? It's like, the sun is free. Yeah, it's free if you walk outside and get your vitamin D. Is it free if you have to build fucking solar panels? It's free. The sun's, the sun's free, though. I mean, the panels yeah. cost, you know, $1,000 per panel. But Oil you know, is hey, free. free. Oil is free. You just have to buy an oil, build an oil rig and drill it. It's like, it's just nonsense. That five hundred million dollar oil dit or oil refinery? It's, it's free. free. It's free. Let's <laughs> go down to that. The more we have to create vast industries and vast employment and opportunities for ourselves. So, the bottom line is that we can create a better life for ourselves. So we don't have to look at this as a death sentence or doom and gloom. Right. We can look at this as a time that we can create a brand new and better future with better jobs, higher paying jobs. So just to give you an idea, for every one uh, job in fossil fuels to create one unit of energy, mm -hmm. you need two or three of those jobs in solar power. And the fastest growing opportunities in the next decade, number one is wind technician, number two, solar technician. Think about that benefit the economy, Whoa, benefit the environment, and make it clean. Way. We've talked before on the Saturday so show about this, the economy but the Arctic by being incredibly the inefficient. the two areas <laughs> with the biggest change that we're seeing ahead. So these are tipping points. We need to watch them closely. The tipping Amazon, points. it's being slashed and burned very quickly. Climate change is drying it out. And if we don't, if we're not careful, it could turn into a savanna. So from a rainforest with all that life into a savanna, Right now, it's acting as a carbon sink. It's pulling tons of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. It is helping us slow down the consequences of climate change. Pretty soon, it may not be able to do that. Same thing with the Arctic and permafrost. Permafrost is frozen ground in the Arctic tundra. That now, this year, has changed from being a net absorber of carbon dioxide to being a net emitter, which means that it causes climate change to spiral and go even faster. And we have to watch out for destabilization of ice shelves in the Arctic and Antarctic. That's something we hope doesn't happen, but if it does, sea level creeps up even faster. Oh, All right, Jeff Berardelli, thank you so much. You're welcome. Next and week it like in our 2020 duped. series, we'll explore the next decade in health and what advancements we could see. Wow. Oh, man. Thank God that guy was there. Thank God everybody round of applause for that guy. He's a real hero. He's a American patriot. All we really have to do, listen everybody, stop clapping, stop clapping. I know I deserve it, but you just, you gotta stop clapping for me at some point. We really have to, all right, listen, seriously, stop clapping for me. No, seriously, listen, we have to, we have to tax everybody to save the planet. That's the only way. It's the only way. If people have all this freedom nope. and money, how are we going to get them to buy the inefficient stuff? Yeah, I mean, the only way to do it is to uh, have digitally controlled solar panels. We can't do this like coal and 
all that stuff because then like people it's it's harder to digitally control shutting people's power off that way you know exactly and i mean i think we should get enron to run the federal solar panel industry at first nobody knew what caused the dam to break but now shocking new evidence has indicated that the flood in beaverton was caused by global warming <laughs> it now appears that all rumors of global warming were true we were warned this would happen, and we didn't listen. We didn't listen! <laughs> the day before the day after... Two days before the day after tomorrow. Two days before... What? Two days before... That's the name of that South Park episode. Two days before the day after tomorrow. And then all the scientists oh. like do their studies, and they're like, Wait, that's today! You people ever treat you with so here's a here's Bill Nye who is not a scientist explaining why no he's you, just a science guy he's the science guy here's Bill Nye explaining on NBC that it's kind of stupid that when like people point out that I'm not a scientist and it's like well that doesn't matter global warming's still real do people ever treat you with hostility do they ever greet me with hostility Yes, it's yes, it's nothing but hostility. The big one is Bill Nye's not a scientist. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, you're right. I'm not going to dispute that fact, but okay. I Bill never Nye said I was a, a scientist. scientist. <laughs> I'm just a science guy. I'm the science guy. It's like how it's the exact same thing that Bill Gates has. It's like he's the health expert on not just in the United States media, but global media, Bill Gates comes on and he's telling you about vaccines and all this stuff. And it's like, you didn't even finish fucking your education. Like you dropped out. You had no medical degree. You didn't even try to get a medical degree, but you, Bill Gates, are going to tell me why I need to take this vaccine. It's the same thing with Bill Nye. It's the other bill, the climate change bill. We got climate bill and computer bill. Yeah. <laughs> bill I guess now he's vaccine bill. Vaccine bill, yeah. No, yeah, vaccine bill. Bill Nye's not a scientist. Okay. I can read a graph. So can you. It is infuriating <laughs> to have people in the United States denying science. The same country that sent people to the moon for crying out loud. <laughs> Wait, we sent... We sent people to the moon because they were crying out loud? <laughs> now, the funnier part of that is the fact that he's like, Oh, yeah, we sent people to the moon. That's why you should believe science. And it's like, uh, have you seen that footage of the moon landings there, Bill Nye? You just made, the, you just you get like canceled out your own argument in my book. Mm-hmm. But that's a that's a moon landing that moon whole moon landings that's a topic for another episode. But I was just like, well, we'll have to have a moon. whole moon landing moon movies dot com moon movie dot com moon movie dot com moon movie dot com. <laughs> you know, you look for reasonable explanations, cause and effect. I, I'm just not clear on what's going on with so aggressively denying science. It's almost like they're on the world is flat camp. The world's not flat. Humans are causing climate change. Pretending it's not happening is not in anyone's best interest. They <laughs> so what he just said in my book makes me 
lean towards the earth being flat more than it convinces me that humans are causing climate change. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I see, because his last two arguments weren't super solid. He's like, the world's so, not flat, humans are causing climate change. And it's like, okay, so the world it is flat then. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> not happening is not in anyone's best interest. They could stop denying it for economic reasons. Other countries are going to develop technologies for producing electricity especially that are going to outcompete you if you pretend it's not happening. But now I don't think you're going to be able to run for office this next year's 2020 and certainly not in 2024 without a clear position on climate change. You know, I say all the time you guys, and this this next part you can decide for yourself, but climate denialism is almost exclusively for old people. You very, very seldom meet a young person, a kid, a student. You never meet a student who is now in the current like grips of full indoctrination. You never and in most see of those academic it. settings, if you don't have the same opinion as the academics, like in charge of it, you don't. You do not get very far. In those lines of academics at school. Yeah, it's just, it's the same reason, it's the same thing with anything like in the medical fields. If you question like opiate use or vaccines, it's like you're going to suffer because of that. It's yeah, like if you being, question any of the cash cows or sacred cows, you are yeah not looked upon very well. So yeah, now he, Bill Nye already admitted he's not a scientist, but he can read a graph just like anybody else. So that means we should all listen to him about climate change. He says he's got the graphs. <laughs> there's only 12 years left. Man. Very, very seldom meet a young person, a kid, a student, who is who is in denial about climate change. They're going to change things. I mean, they're not going to put up with this denialism if for, if for if nothing else because they can't compete internationally if they keep denying it. And so they're going to vote and change governments, and denialism will be a thing of the past. And you can draw all kinds of analogies from history, but uh, this one's extraordinary because it's worldwide and it affects everybody. It's not just us versus them. It's us versus ourselves. And so I'm optimistic about the future. We have 12 years. So by 2031, you got to get something done or it's going to be a catastrophe for most of humankind. Okay, the only thing that he said out of all that that I agree with is on the business end of it because eventually there are going to be because I mean that's just the way technology works is that it advances becomes more efficient and better. That's the only thing that I agree with is because the energy industry is already starting to advance and moving away from certain things like fossil fuels and moving towards like, you know, like electric cars and stuff like Tesla's shown right, that yeah. it's becoming uh, economically viable to move towards some of these alternate forms of energy. That's the only thing he said that really, really matters out of all of what he said. The rest of it's just uh, like talking points and rhetoric. Yeah, I've, I do think that wind and especially solar, solar especially, is going to be like a necessary movement like at a certain point it's going to be the best way to do it once the technology is there just like yeah. uh self-driving cars or anything else which i'm not on board with but the i i don't know do you but do you buy what he's saying where it's like it's going to be less like feasible fiscally feasible to like go with fossil fuel 
Uh, well, eventually, that that's what I'm saying, is eventually the cost for this other stuff is going to, like, the cost-benefit is going to probably outweigh uh, fossil fuels, especially oil that we're using now. Like, coal's pretty much already obsolete, but there's so many people that are invested in that industry that you can't just get rid of it altogether. Otherwise, you've got millions of people without a job. So you have to slowly move away from one source of energy or one source of something into the other. So yeah. what he's saying, like on an international scale, you got to get people ready to um, do business on an international scale because other countries that aren't like the United States where, you know, we actually care about the people that are working here and in the industries that help, you know, make the country like these other countries. Like, yeah, we're just moving as fast as we can. And also countries like uh, or continents, countries, continents like Africa, where they are basically starting out fresh and they're only going to be using um like solar and wind, more efficient energy sources. You know, I, I, I mean, I get that. It's just, um, I don't, <laughs> I just don't, I don't see the rest how... of what he's saying is just rhetoric. It is literally just like, Hey, these are talking points and I get paid if I say certain things in a certain way. Like the whole, like mocking, like he's essentially mocking anybody that has questions about what he's saying. He's like, I'm so smart, and this is so the way it is that if you even question this, you're just an old fuddy-duddy. Because it's but like yeah, a comparison was, to old people. Yeah, he said, like, the the only he's, like, talking to kids because, you know, he's been on a science guy. It's like, the only people that believe climate change is a hoax are old people. All the kids are going to come up once they die, and then that's when things are going to change. It's like... <laughs> yeah, that's, you, that's so like to make that comparison is very much like so you're mocking essentially and trying to be like a like a, like a fellow kid, you know. I just Hello, get reminded. Kids. Yeah, I was the exact the Steve Buscemi meme where he walks up yeah, on the street. Yeah. Hello, Hello, fellow, fellow kids. kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what we are yeah, looking yeah. at is a global warming catastrophe the likes of which we've never seen. Excuse me, sir, but when? When is this going to happen? My colleagues in the scientific community are still running tests, but we believe it may happen the day after tomorrow. Excuse me. I'm sure we're all very impressed with your wild theories, Dr. Marsh, but the fact is no statistical proof has ever been confirmed that global warming exists. Are you suggesting we shut down the economy? With all due respect, cliché dissenting Republican, the economy isn't going to matter the day after tomorrow. Listen! Listen! We finished running the test! Global warming is going to strike two days before the day after tomorrow. Oh my god. That's today. We didn't listen! We didn't listen! Ah. So, I later on, I want to do a whole episode on climate change, because I have plenty to say about it. But, if you had to decide now, scale of 1 to 10, we gave, you gave nukes an 8 out of 10, I gave it a 6. Virus, we both gave 9 out of 9. 
biblical yeah. or religious apocalypse five out of five. Ten being it's definitely going to happen. One being not going to happen. What are you giving climate change as the end of mankind? And just man-made climate change. Man-made climate change, not anything that is a natural cycle. I'm well, giving okay. It, uh, like a, I'd say like a three. That's okay. Yeah, I was about to say a three, and here's why I say a three. With stuff like harp and like geoengineering and chemtrails, mm-hmm. I say that is what ups the possibility, not people driving cars. No, or definitely ha- nothing like the just like the personal CO two emissions. I don't really think that's going to have any kind of like significant effect. But I mean, you never know. Like, let's say one of these chemical companies comes out with something that's just horrible for the environment, but it makes them a whole lot of money, so they start making it. And then they just pump it out. They end up dumping it in the water or something. I see that as a possibility way yeah. more than like CO2 emissions. That's the same reason I put a three, too. Cause like, yeah, no, no, like there's already been like scientific studies out because of the lockdown that plant life is suffering because the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is way down because nobody's driving anymore and people are staying yeah. inside, not exhaling CO2. So it's hurting the plant life. Yeah. Yeah, I, we both have a three out of three on that, I guess, for different reasons, but. Yeah, I think it's a little bit different uh, reasons that we have, but uh, I think we kind of come to the same conclusion that the the mainstream idea of man-made global warming or global climate change is not what's going to more than likely be the killer of the Earth. Yeah, I'm more worried about, like, toxic waste dumping and like fukushima's nuclear plant is still leaking into the ocean shit like that i would see is way more of a problem than people driving cars or flying on airplanes you know what's funny um one of the best solutions for all of the energy problems that exists nuclear um, getting rid of like uh emissions like all the stuff that like uh most of the people on the mainstream side or the leftist side of uh global uh, climate change is one of the best solutions that exists is nuclear power, yeah, but they exactly. absolutely hate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, it's like a uh, remember that remember Cloud Atlas? Yeah, where the the um, oil the the gas companies bought out a nuclear plant and intentionally like self destructed it to kill a bunch of people to get everybody like not wanting nuclear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see yeah, that. I'm- I could totally see that happening too. I mean, the uh, oil companies have nothing that drastic, but they've been caught doing stuff before to discourage use of uh, other kinds of energy. Like, I forget who it was uh, well, the, bought the uh, patent for electric cars patents. back in the sick. Yeah, like who killed the electric car in the eighties? Yeah, and then also um, there were cars that there's patents for cars and people supposedly have had cars that worked that run on water and the energy is just like a combustion engine that splits the hydrogen and oxygen I've molecules. I've heard about that. I don't know if that's real or not though, but I have heard that too. Well, there's patents that are for sure real for it. I've never driven a car that runs on water, but just uh, cause there's a patent doesn't mean it exists. It means somebody patented right. an idea, right? But, uh, I mean, it's possible because all you have to do is create heat and an explosion. Yeah, it's supposedly the splitting of the hydrogen and oxygen molecule that creates the energy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's, it's 
mark that up to another thing that I'm not smart enough to know about. But same here, I don't know enough about but it. People to be that able own to the say patents the like other. always mysteriously die for like oh, the water powered cars. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yeah, climate change. Uh, three out of ten for both of us as far as likely apocalypse. So far, virus is still miles ahead with nine from both of us as the likely apocalypse. Yeah, especially with like all the COVID stuff going on, it seems even more likely. Right, yeah. Randall Carlson, who I'm a big fan of, because you, uh, you, heard, you heard Bill Nye talking about the tipping point, like, oh, there's going to be a tipping point, and Greta Thunberg and all these, you know, Al Gore, the tipping point. Like, in 12 years, I guess it's 10 years from when they said that first, we're going to yeah. hit a tipping point, and we won't be able to fix it. Like, it's going to be a climate change apocalypse, blah, blah, blah. So I really like Randall Carlson, and I'm definitely going to pull more clips of him for our climate change episode. But he made a good point on Joe Rogan about how a tipping point would look you know, when they talk about a tipping point, you know, are we talking about a tipping point that could trigger a climate change, a disastrous, catastrophic climate change as being a few parts, million more of CO2? Or is a tipping point really a mile wide asteroid slamming into the earth at 100 times the speed of a rifle bullet? That could be a tipping point, my friend. Jesus and that Christ. has happened thousands of times <clears throat> and hundreds of times since we humans have been here. Hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Hundreds. Hundreds of times. Thousands of times in history. Hundreds of times since we humans have been here. So that leads us in from climate change, which I think is a very low threat to asteroid impacts, which overall I still think is a low threat. But when it happens, it's going to happen immediately, and it's going to have way more lethality in an immediate time frame than any climate change, even if you believe in climate change. Yeah, and I mean, how would we stop an asteroid impact, too? Which leads us into the most recent big asteroid impact, which happened in Russia and was captured on people's dashboard cams. The eyes of the world today stunned by this image. This was debris from a meteor racing toward Earth, streaking across the sky there, crashing into the ground in those woods. And look at some of the other images emerging tonight. The cloudy trail the meteor produced and on impact, this carving a little pool into a frozen lake. It's the biggest meteor in more than a century to hit the planet. This one crashed in Russia. A thousand people were injured from shards of flying glass and debris. Tonight here, we have learned there was no warning. More on that from NASA in just a moment here, but we be <laughs> Biggest asteroid in a century hit the planet. Nobody knew it was coming. Or at least if they did know, they didn't tell us. Wow. That, to me, shows how unprepared we are for something like that. Or at least, if not, yeah, it's either one, we're unprepared for something like that. Even NASA admits they have only, at most, tracked 1% of the asteroids that could potentially hit us. So it's either, yeah, we're unprepared, or when something hits, they're not going to fucking tell us. Who knows? Well, it seems like they would want... Like, there doesn't seem to be a big reason to hide an asteroid impact, you know? Yeah, you don't want to cause a panic. That's true, but I mean, if it's inevitable, like, if you know that, like, it's going to hit us, like, you would probably want to try to warn people. Well, that's what the uh, that's what Michael Bay thought when he made Armageddon and almost every other asteroid impact movie. It's like, oh yeah, they'll tell everybody when it happens. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more subscribed to that. Uh, <laughs> I'm more subscribed to that movie 2012, not about the year 2012, but about what John Cusack says. He's like, the governor just said it's fine. And the governor is Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's like, he's an actor. He's reading a script. When they tell you not to panic, that's when you run. That's what I'm, that's where I'm more subscribed to. I got you. I got you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, you just, you think, like, they want to keep everybody calm and make everything look okay more than they would want to tell everybody the truth. You don't want to run on the banks. You don't want to, yeah, I mean, you just don't want to let the general populace know that the world's about to end, I would think. Yeah, but, I mean, if it's an asteroid and it's like, well, there's nothing we can do. We're boned all the way through. Why wouldn't you tell people? Why would you still, like, well, Try because that's why that's when you get matter. onto the moon base. That's yeah. You don't tell people to like the people with all the money that control everything have gotten off off planet. <laughs> then you can tell them, I guess. <laughs> then all the plebes can know. Yeah. <laughs> Ian with ABC's Kirit Radia in Moscow. It came out of nowhere, a bright speck in the sky, soon streaking across the horizon followed by an almost apocalyptic scene, a blinding flash of light, and then all hell broke loose. Dizzying explosions, shattering windows, knocking these office workers to the ground. These students were lucky, protected by curtains from the flying glass, and these men barely escaped the blast. Man, where did they buy those curtains? I want some In of those. In the streets, pandemonium. <laughs> I literally thought the exact same thing when I heard that because they, they show the video in the news report, but it's like, I get how flying glass isn't going to make it through curtains, but it's also like, yeah, it's like curtains. That's all you need to survive an asteroid impact is how it sounds. Everybody, we've learned the secret. It's curtains, curtains, everybody <laughs> wear curtains all the time. Yeah. yeah, they were, they were miles and miles and miles away from the impact. So it was just the, the blast that broke all the glass. So it, yeah, it, the shockwaves it, from yeah, the impact. Yeah, the shockwaves. Yeah, so it makes sense that curtains will help you, but it's still just hilarious. Kind of like poop water. It's like when you first hear it, you're like, okay, wh what? But it makes sense that curtains would help from glass yeah, shattering. People. Yeah, glass and debris won't get through the curtains as easy. In the streets, pandemonium. Terrified residents thought the world was ending. <laughs> People started to panic. Somebody screamed, the end of the earth, he says. The chaos of the meteor was captured on cell phones and on dashboard cameras of cars. The blast was so powerful, it knocked down a wall at this factory. In all, over 1,200 people were injured, mostly from broken glass. 3,000 buildings damaged, over a million square feet of glass shattered. Many were injured after going to the window to check out the flash in the sky. The glass shattered and bounced back on me. My beard was cut open, this man says. <laughs> His, beard. His beard? His beard was cut open. Fucking My Russian. beard! Russians, dude. It's like, what are you even talking about? There's some wild people. Ugh. In 1954, Anna Hodges was hit by a meteorite. What time of the day was this? 12.45. 12.45. 12.45. 45. At 12.45 precisely is when the, the asteroid hit me. <laughs> hit me right in the head. In 1954, Anna Hodges was hit by a meteorite. What time of the day was this? 12.45. 12.45. And this comes through the roof and hits you. She was napping. 
when the rock crashed through her ceiling and bounced off the radio into her stomach. Because it was small, her injuries were minor, but much bigger objects have collided with Earth. 65 million years ago, a rock 10 kilometers wide slammed into the Gulf of Mexico. Uh-huh. I need them, they them same people try to tell me I came from a monkey. 65 million years ago, them damn asteroid killed the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds like a bunch of... Sounds like a bunch of elitists talk to Sounds me. Sounds like a, a bunch of liberal bullshit. All that NPR talk. They try to tell me that them dinosaurs turned into birds. Now tell us how you really feel. An event that likely caused dinosaurs to go extinct. Elsewhere, mammoth meteorites have been discovered everywhere from the US to Russia and blasted craters in North America, Australia, and Africa. Falling objects from the sky have always fascinated humans, but they have also made us fearful, making us wonder whether someday a giant asteroid could come for us. So asteroids, man. All that music in the background of all of these. So uh, like, there's like all this is like barely reported. It's all like sensational stuff. Well, here's the thing, man. Oh, What's the thing? The thing is. NASA has a plan to stop asteroids. Oh, really? Yeah, they do. Between 1988 and 2017, NASA counted over 700 fireballs created by objects entering our atmosphere. In order to detect asteroids, NASA takes multiple pictures of the night sky and uses computers to scan for moving objects. As Earth orbits, scientists make several observations from different locations to detect how close the asteroids are to Earth. At least 16,000 of them have been classified as near-Earth, meaning they orbit within roughly a third of the distance from the Sun. And based on the object's speed and brightness, scientists can map a trajectory to predict whether it will collide with Earth. The impact energy of a 10-meter object just a little smaller than a school bus would be 100 kilotons. But the larger the object, the nastier the impact. Oh shit, did you know that? Did you know that the larger the object that slams into Earth at 100 times the speed of a rifle bullet, the larger it is, the nastier the impact. Isn't it I great? I thought it was the other way around. Yeah, I know. Isn't it, isn't it great that they're giving us this <laughs> great information? The bigger the bigger this thing is that slams into Earth, the worse it's going to be. It's like, oh, shit. Thank God the experts have something to say about it. That's why they're the experts. They've got all but that fascinating information. Enough, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah, somebody needs to hang him. But if we are lucky enough to spot an asteroid 7 to 10 years out, NASA would have enough time to try deflecting the object, which they could do a number of ways. So here's all the ways that NASA could deflect the object that's going to hit us, even though they admit they haven't even found more than 1% of all the potential objects that could hit us. They have a plan to stop the objects from hitting us. Thanks, NASA. First, NASA could launch a spacecraft to act as a battering ram. And if the asteroid is far enough out, it would only need to be pushed a few centimeters off course to avoid hitting Earth. Right now, NASA is in the early stages of DART, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, which will try out this approach by trying it on a non-threatening asteroid called Diddy Moon, 
which will pass near Earth in 2022. Another method would be using something called a gravity tractor, which pulls the asteroid in a new direction and points it away from Earth. Theoretically, a spacecraft could do this by hovering near an object to create a slight gravitational attraction that could be used to redirect the asteroid. The third option would be to go full Hollywood and use a nuclear device to vaporize part of the surface. What you can do in principle, if you have a very powerful laser, is to cause jets of material heated by the laser to fly off of the asteroid and that is essentially the equivalent of a jet engine pushing the asteroid off course. So far, NASA hasn't found any asteroids big enough to threaten Earth, but we haven't been searching that long. There's still lots of space to survey, and the big one might be on its way. We just haven't found it yet. Oh my God, man. Do you know that? Like the big one, dude, the big one might be on its way. And we it just haven't could, found it yet. It could be on its way right now. I know. And we wouldn't even know it. And we wouldn't even know it. Which goes back to my original theory that they wouldn't tell us if it was on its way. Like well, when, I just uh, think it's more of a, they just don't know. Yeah. I don't really think it's malicious at this point. I mean, I guess it, it always could be, but I think at this point, it's just, there's just not enough. They don't know enough yet. It's not, honestly, I'm not even saying that if they knew something was going to hit us, and it didn't tell us, I wouldn't even say that was necessarily malicious. I just think they've probably calculated out that, like, if we tell everybody that, like, some, like, an asteroid is going to smash into Earth and kill most of the people and cause an apocalypse, like, <laughs> why would you tell the a, general public? There'd like, be a worse, it would be worse the response that the, that the population would have rather yeah. than just not telling them. That's what we were talking about with Dr. Professor Kaizen on the, like comment and subscribe episode it was like the general idea is like they want the the COVID-19 is a is a front to get everybody sheltered in place where they're safe so that way the ash the comet that's going to impact won't kill as many people as it normally would oh I got you so they want to have uh measures in place to try to mitigate the negative impact yeah but they tell you it's something like else yeah. Yeah. Well, if you live oh, in a rural see, area, yeah. the best bet really would be to evacuate to a safe distance. Without warning, it would be impossible to survive a city killer asteroid. The key to surviving is knowing it's coming. And since February 2017, our chances have improved dramatically because NASA, in conjunction with the University of Hawaii, have developed the Asteroid Terrestrial Impact Last Alert System. When an asteroid is spotted, its trajectory is plotted, and if it's on a collision course with Earth, we will receive 24 hours warning before it hits, which should be enough time to prepare for and survive the impending impact. What if it just tears through the Earth, though? Yeah, well, it depends how big it is, but like, I still don't, it's like 24 hours, you really think 24 hours is enough time to get Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, we couldn't even in the months of this shelter in place stuff, there's still people that just completely ignored it. 24 hours is not enough time to get everybody on board with anything. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, come on. Well, if you lived in a rural area, the best bet really would be to evacuate to a safe distance away from the impact site. So the further away that you can get, the better. 
If you can get a few hundred kilometers from the strike, you should survive. However, if you live in a city, evacuation might be more tricky. When Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans in 2005, residents had a week to get to safety. But evacuation plans fell apart when highways became gridlocked. We've only got 24 hours. How far will you actually get? Will you get to a safe place within that time scale? And my concern is that unlikely. So I tend to think, well, I'd much rather come underground. What do you think? Would you rather flee or just hit the bunker? If I had a bunker, definitely go to the bunker. <laughs> well, so many people like in Oak Ridge, like way back in the day, I've hung out with a couple of people in Oak Ridge where they have like, you know, 50 year old bunkers that are just built into their backyard. And we went down yeah. there to just get fucked up. But like, it's, it's a good thing to have. Definitely doesn't hurt. There was a, a bunch of salamanders like and uh, cave crickets. That was all that was down there. It's super loud echo because it's like a big empty cement underground thing in the backyard. Yeah, but I mean, is that really going to help you in an instance like a asteroid impact? Well, it, if the asteroid lands on top of you, no, it's not going to help you. If you, it, but if the asteroid lands, you know, a thousand miles away, or you know, five, like however many thousand miles away, it's not going to be. It's it's going to like that. That bunker will help you as long as you have storable food and shit like that. Yeah. Well, let's say like the asteroid hits and there's a big enough impact to cause a shockwave to just tear everything up. I mean, your bunker could get destroyed. It could collapse on itself or just. Oh, yeah. Ju yeah. No, that's. Yeah. They, the bunker could get just totally messed up by like the plate shifting in the earth because of that. Yeah. You could get trapped in there or worse. It just kills you. It just falls in on itself or is destroyed. I mean, in the event of like an asteroid hitting like a devastating asteroid impact, there's not much you can do other than try to run away from it. If you've got a bunker, that's great, but I mean, that's still not guaranteed. Trying to get away from it seems about the only real it depends where it, it depends where it's at. If yeah. the bunker's landing within, you know, less than a thousand miles, it, it depends how big the asteroid is. Like in Armageddon, the movie, the asteroid was the size of Texas. You're going to have to be on the other side of the Earth, literally, to even think about surviving something like that yeah but once again if there's an asteroid the size of texas it's going to hit earth there's probably not going to be much earth left after it hits right like i mean the way i'm looking at it is like in a, in a situation like that everybody's dead like it doesn't matter oh, yeah. if you run shelter whatever you're dead that's that's the benefit to um a bunker though is an asteroid is just one of the contingencies. Like if you have yeah. a good enough bunker, like it'll protect you from your, your, if you're, if you're making a bunker or investing in a bunker or like investing in one of those big, like big scale bunkers, it's not just because of an asteroid or just because of world war three. It's like, just in case anything happens, you have it. So it's not a guarantee, but nobody's like making a, no, nobody has a bunker just because of one possible outcome. Usually it's because of anything that might happen. At least I have this place to go to. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's like a safe area to go to. You're, you're right, to get away from anything that could be going on. But 
like as far as like everything that we've talked about as far as an actual apocalyptic event an asteroid strike like a sizable asteroid strike seems like the most devastating out of everything we've talked about yeah because it could depend it depends how big the asteroid is and how close it yeah. is to you but i mean and how fast it's moving yeah m- most asteroids are moving at like seventy five thousand miles an hour something crazy like that yeah, so if you have something like that, that size that's moving, like not even the size of Texas, just like uh, pretty big. I mean, who's to say the thing's not just going to go like it hits and then cracks the earth in half or causes like a divide, like a huge uh, like ripple. It would knock the, if the it's, Yeah, something like that would knock the earth off orbit, knock it out of the, like the orbit of the sun for sure. Um, yeah. And it would almost immediately destroy the atmosphere like something that big if it's that big you're pretty much screwed which is why you would want to have a backup base on like the moon or mars or something i would think mars (laughs) because if the earth's going off course that means the moon's going off course right yeah that's true too so mars would be probably the only real option yeah because the moon yeah moon wouldn't be a good option Plus, it's basically just a rock. It's not even really a planet. I mean, it's not built like a... It's definitely not a planet. It's not got the same structure as a planet. It's a circle, which most planets are. It is a circle. Yeah, or a sphere, I guess. Below ground, you'd be better protected from the flash and the shockwave that follows than you would be in a car stuck in a traffic jam. After the blast, it is likely the city would burn for many days. There could be fires, so we could be looking at a repeat of the Great Fire of London. So the safest place to be would be very much underground. If you decide to shelter underground, you should stock up on food and water, as it could be weeks before you're rescued. Shelter in place, underground, man. That's what you gotta do. That's what you gotta do. That's what you gotta do. Seems like that's the best option. After that, I was like, got down the rabbit trail. I was like, all right, bunkers. Let's look into bunkers. Everybody needs a bunker, right? You gotta get a bunker. A bunker is what you need. Bunker's the way to go. Get a bunker. Okay, you went down the rabbit trail. Vice News. Old Vice. Old Vice News. Old Vice. They uh, they did a video called "Here Is How the One Percent Will Live During the Apocalypse." Welcome to the survival condo. Let me close the door, and then I'll get you inside and give you a tour. They actually credit this specific site with being the number one reason why the uh, Russians backed down the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like the specific silo? This specific silo. There's 12 missile silos just like this one. So, so when was the silo decommissioned? Or, or was it decommissioned? It was decommissioned in 1967, and then I bought it in 2008, started a two-year design, then we got into the construction. Most of the people have a belief that there's going to be some type of a uh, global economic collapse. Some are worried about um, a possible nuclear war. You know, that's uh, now that I'm hearing this again, that's one angle we didn't take. 
is a global what? economic collapse as an apocalypse. But I oh, guess like anarchy, like global anarchy. Yeah, where like the uh, the economy globally just fully collapses. But I feel like nobody would die because of that unless it spawned another oh, thing like lots nuclear of war. people would die because of that. Or I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean not not nobody would die from that. It wouldn't kill everybody. No, it wouldn't kill everybody, but I mean, like, that would probably kill enough people to be considered an apocalypse. Like, one thing that's been, like, I've seen from this, uh, from just the COVID lockdowns and stuff like that, is that there are a lot of people that are incredibly um, non self sufficient. Like, there are people that have no idea how to do stuff without, like, the infrastructure and everything that we already have set up. I like would say people, both of us, to a certain extent, fall under that category. Yeah, uh, I mean, everybody falls under that to a certain degree because we've gotten away. Like, there's so many things that are automated now and so much stuff that we take for granted, like being able to just go to the grocery store and get the things that we need yeah, without exactly. having to think about it. Yep. Like, I mean, I've seen that. Like, there's like half the shelves at the store are empty. And they're not, like, consistently empty. They're still getting filled but they're gone within the first couple of hours because people are panic buying everything. And that's going to keep going on until it's pretty much just going to keep going on until something changes. Like that's going to like, even if all the lockdowns lift and everything, the panic buying of certain items is going to continue until people essentially forget this kind of stuff. Cause now they're going to be worried and they realize, Hey, things aren't as set in stone as I thought. Yeah. <laughs> so a global economic yeah. collapse which would mean a whole lot of infrastructure, a whole lot of logistical stuff would just stop happening. There would be, I don't, there would be millions, if not billions of deaths in pretty much every first world country. Yeah. I don't know if that counts as an apocalypse, but pretty close to it, if not. Yeah, it's like kind of like a minimal asteroid impact. I feel like it'd be the same thing where it's like, yeah, half the population might die, but it's not going to be a full. Yeah, it's not going to be everybody dies, but it would be it would be considered a horrible, horrible, like tragic event. True. Oops. Some are worried about um, a possible nuclear war. Now, this is the dome. Then you have the mechanical level medical security level, store level with hydroponics and aquaculture. Then the residential levels are five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and 11. How many units are there total? 12. Are they all occupied or also? Yeah, also yeah. Occupied? yeah. Wow. Yeah. Then there's a library and classroom, the exercise and spa level, the theater and lounge, and then the pumps and storage. There's a lot of people that have different types of these. You know, all of them are, you know, just catering to a different clientele, but what makes ours truly unique is that our first requirement of this facility, it had to be able to be off-grid indefinitely. Off-grid indefinitely. A completely self-sustaining shelter. Yeah, that's really the only way that it would be effective. Yeah, so what, they, what they're doing is they got a giant silo with like generators um solar panels up top um i mean they they're prepared and it could get pretty bad but like they got nuclear blast doors all are totally underground they got like hot tubs and video games down in the bunker 
They can. Oh, yeah, you got to have entertainment. Yeah. So uh, finishing up this part two of the Vice News piece on how the one percent will live. Bunker security and remote defenses. That you got to defend your bunker too. We can Absolutely. do a lot of damage from in here without having to go outside. Yeah, exactly. You've got remote controlled things, and uh, we can ruin your day from in here <laughs> and not having it. It's a video game to us. You really don't want to, you know, be shooting against a robot that's uh, you can't hurt. The strength of this facility is that it was engineered to withstand a nuclear blast. It's amazing what you can do. If you're coming down and you see bodies laying around, you're going to say, next house, I'm not going to bother these people. Right. You know, I'm not going to go knock on the door and try to get a cup of sugar here. That's not going to work. <laughs> a cup of sugar. <laughs> it's like, I see a bunch of dead bodies at this house. I'm still going to go up and ask for a cup of sugar? Nah, bro. And he's right about that. You got to have a yeah. good deterrent to make your bunker work. Yeah, if people think they can just come in your bunker. They'll just come in your bunker. They got like remote controlled machine gun turrets and robots outside the bunker. So they're doing it good. You could probably just pile up a bunch of dead bodies outside of your bunker and that would have the same effect. True. Just start killing people from inside and throw them out the front door. Yeah. Invite them in, immediately shoot them in the head, throw them out front. That's the way you do it. Yeah, there is something. It's dark, twisted, but true. If you're trying to defend your place your house or your bunker have a bunch of dead bodies of people hanging out outside yeah man people are going to be obviously your house like right now and you put out like six dead bodies just out front who besides the police are going to come over almost nobody exactly it seems like the best option it really does. I'm thinking about going and getting some dead bodies for myself. For my house. Probably should just go ahead and do that then. I'm trying to locate the bodies right now. But uh back <laughs> back to uh back to the bunkers. I mean you you need a bunker to survive. Def definitely. So back to Dr. Strangelove, here's the best bunker you can have. Mr. President, I would not rule out the chance to preserve a nucleus of human specimens. It would be quite easy. <laughs> At the bottom of uh, some of our deeper mine shafts, radioactivity would never penetrate a mine some thousands of feet deep. And in a matter of weeks, sufficient improvements in dwelling space could easily be provided. How long would you have to stay down there? Well, let's see now. Uh, cobalt sodium G. Uh, radioactive half life of. Uh, well, I would think that uh, possibly uh, 100 years. You mean people could actually stay down there for a hundred years? It would not be difficult, my fear. Nuclear reactors could... My fear. Sorry, Mr. President. Nuclear reactors could provide power almost indefinitely. Greenhouses could maintain plant life. Animals could be bred and slaughtered. Quick service could be made of all the available mine sites in the country. 
But I would guess that a dwelling space for several hundred thousand of our people could easily be provided. Well, I'm, I would hate to have to decide who stays up and who goes down. Well, that would not be necessary, Mr. President. Could easily be accomplished with a computer. Could easily be accomplished with a computer. Ay, computer man, fjord. So, uh, I think you're on the same page as me. It's like, uh, I'm not really on board with that. Nah. I won't be trapped in a bunker for any amount of time, especially not. Well, no, we're not even getting to the bunker point. We're just at the point where we just are still stuck outside and everybody else gets the bunker as far as elite. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, yeah. On that point, yeah, we're definitely, yeah, we're plebes. We're outside. Yeah. I mean, I'd like a bunker. I would want one. In that case, I, would hate to have I don't want to live in it forever, but you know, I like a bunker so I don't get vaporized. Brenda, that would not be necessary, Mr. President. Could easily be accomplished with a computer. And the computer could be set and programmed to accept factors from youth, health, sexual fertility, intelligence, and a cross-section of necessary skills. Of course, it would be absolutely oh, yeah. vital that our top government and military men be included <laughs> to foster and impart the required principles of leadership and tradition. <laughs> so, in, in Dr. Strangelove, Dr. Strangelove is literally having to physically pull down his hand from doing a seagull. Oh, but, I, but that's I feel like that's a metaphor for a literal what literally the people that are all in on this plan they are very closely aligned ideologically to the Nazis. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh very elitist. I have a sense that they are the superior class. And therefore, need to be the ones to carry on. I would hate to have yeah, to decide. Yeah, so that, that's why we need... With the proper breeding techniques and... That's why we need... That's why we need the proper breeding techniques. The proper breeding techniques will fix all that, all those problems. Mm -hmm. With the proper breeding techniques and the ratio of, say, 10 females to each male... I would guess that they could then work their way back to the present gross national product within, say, 20 years. But look here, Doctor, wouldn't this nucleus of survivors be so grief-stricken and anguished that they, well, envy the dead and not want to go on living? When they go down into the mine, everyone will still be alive. There will be no shocking memories, and the prevailing motion will be one of nostalgia for those left behind. Combined... With a spirit of bold curiosity for the adventure ahead. You mentioned the uh, ratio of uh, ten women to each man. Uh, uh, wouldn't that necessitate the abandonment of the so-called uh, monogamous sexual relationship? I mean, uh, as far as men were concerned. Uh, regrettably, yes. But it regrettably. is you know, a sacrifice required for the future of the human race. I hasten to add that since each man will be required to do prodigious 
service along these lines, the women will have to be selected for their sexual characteristics, which will have to be of a highly stimulating nature. I must confess, you have an astonishingly good idea there, Doctor. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so this durates... This durates directly back... Durates. This durates... Durates? This du durates. What are you trying to say? I don't know what durates means. This durates... I don't either. Uh, it's probably a made-up word. This relates... There you go. This relates... Or durates directly. Durates is relates directly. Rela directly relates durates. Yeah. This durates yeah. very closely to our Terrence McKenna episode where Terrence was like, well, really, there should be like 75% women on the planet. That way I yeah. have more to choose from. It's the same idea with this... Uh, <laughs> Dr. Strange love idea for how a bunker would work. I'm in the middle of Kansas driving to one of the largest bomb shelters in America, Vivos. This used to be a storage facility for the United States military, but it has now been converted into a place that can withstand a bi-apocalypse. It's even better than a, an apocalypse. It's a bio. It? It's a bio-apocalypse. What? Stand a biopocalypse bio or any other gigantic catastrophe. Hello? Oh, no one's here. Great. I don't feel safe. Hello? I'm dying. This is what. <laughs> Doesn't it sound exactly like he's actually dying when he said that? That is how I imagine he sounds when he's dying. dying! This is what I'm dying. I'm dying. This is what happens if you're friends with Joe Rogan. What a wonderful place to spend the end of the world. Thanks, Joe. On the other hand, I know where I can come if the hits the fan. Uh, I always know where I can come if the shit hits the fan. It's called a Kleenex. What? I said, I always know where I can come. He said, now I know where I can come if the shit hits the fan. I said, I always know where I can come if the shit hits the fan. A Kleenex. Do you, do you shit on a fan when you come? <laughs> That's what you made it sound like. No, you have like I, a special fan for shitting on when no, you I come? No, I said, I know where I can come if the shit hits the fan. A Kleenex. I still, I'm still imagining this, like you got this giant poop fan somewhere. You just poop on every time. No, you I come. said I know where I can come if the shit hits the fan. I didn't talk anything about shitting. I'm not talking about how what I'm gonna do if I have to shit. It's a different scenario. Anyways, um, okay. Hi, I'm Duncan. Hi. Duncan, Robert Ficino, welcome to Vivos. Thanks. What is this <laughs> place? It's the world's <laughs> largest private shelter. It's carved under a limestone mountain in the late 1880s. So this thing has already been here 120 years, withstanding the test of time. Wow. The 80s were the prime time for, for bunker building. The especially 80s were what? in limestone. The 80s were what? They were the prime time for bunker building, especially in limestone. Well, I mean... 
That's the best way to do it, obviously. And limestone in the 80s, yeah. This is the best time. Roll yeah. tape. <laughs> Hi, I'm Duncan. Hi. Duncan, Robert Ficino. Welcome to Vivos. Thanks. What is this place? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, is where the place? hell am I? <laughs> <laughs> it's the world's largest private shelter. It's carved under a limestone mountain in the late 1880s. So this thing has already been here 120 years, withstanding the test of time. Wow. And now wow. Wow. it's here wow. for what reason? We're converting it to a private shelter for our members, that they may come here at the moment of truth, be that a viral pandemic or nuclear or whatever it is. We'll survive underground here for a minimum of one year without having to return to the surface. You have a year's worth of food here. Years worth of freeze-dried meats. We have a hydroponics area. This is another area for aquaponics. And then we have food storage here. So, so this is completely self-sustaining. Yeah, this facility could continue on indefinitely. We have a nuclear blast-proof door that'll withstand a 20 megaton blast. 20 megaton? What about germs? What about viruses? Right behind that door, we have another set of doors that are airtight, pressure-tight, and watertight. Nothing gets in. In fact, no water. For We could be submerged under several hundred feet of water, and it won't come in. Dude, that's a lot of tight. He said airtight, watertight, other kinds of tight. Ain't no pussy that that's tight. None. But this all. doesn't look to me like a regular bomb shelter. Here, you've got a wine bar. Hot tubs. You have hot tubs in this bomb shelter. We are trying to make it as comfortable as possible, including your own RV. We don't actually build out apartments or bedrooms or suites or anything. Mm. People drive their recreational vehicle directly in through the blast doors and park. How soon do you think something like this could happen? It could have happened five minutes ago. Oh, we don't know. But here's what I do know. Jeez. That I got a place to go. Right. While seven other billion people on the planet do not. Dude, it could have happened five minutes ago. Man, it could have happened since we started uh, talking about Duncan Trussell, talking to a guy who's talking about... It could have happened uh, one year ago, and it's just the news travels slow. That's it. You don't die until the Can news Can you walk me it. through it, a viral pen? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It it doesn't happen until CNN reports that it happened. Until Brian you... Setzler tells me it happened, I don't believe it. <laughs> I was like, wow, if Brian Seltzerwater told me it happened, then it must have happened at this point. <laughs> that guy's on the ball. You look He's at that guy, ball. you know what you think? You think, this guy, this guy right here. He's on a lot of balls. Guy, I like. I look He's at Brian Stelter and I see like his mouth from all the talking he does. I can tell he's on not just on the ball. He's on a lot of balls. His mouth is always on a lot of balls. He he knows all the balls to be on. He's been <laughs> on every ball he could get it could get on, and he's going to get on every ball he can. That's what he always he's, does. Can you walk me through what a viral ball. pandemic might look like? People that aren't prepared have to look forward to hell on earth. It will be ugly out there. You know, I've had people well, say, why would you want to survive? The world's going to be devastated. It's going to be terrible. Well, the one good thing about a pandemic is maybe it only affects human genes and humans. It doesn't affect animals. It doesn't affect nature, the water, the sky. Everything else is pristine. So to say that we're going to go out to something that's terrible, the earth has been scorched and it's ugly and why would you ever want to live, isn't true. You know, why wouldn't you want to be a part of the next rebirthing of the earth? 
I've been hearing about these biopunks who have started their own laboratories and are all biopunks, dude. These damn punks in their bios. <laughs> I can't stand them anymore. I've been hearing They're about these, around. I've been hearing about these biopunks. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Biopunks. Oh. Yeah, they're punks and they're filled with bio. Yeah. Think about these bio punks who have started their own laboratories and are altering viruses. Are you worried about them starting up some kind of global pandemic? Absolutely. There's not only that threat, there's, there's dozens of threats. And to not believe it is naive. Oh. Oh. To not believe it is naive. I have to. I'm not naive. Are you naive? I'm not, I'm I'm not, not naive. naive. No. No. I believe it. We, uh, we, we, we've covered the, we've covered the, we've covered the bunkers, but now you got to cover the preppers because some people just like, they're like, if I get enough guns and food, I won't need a bunker because I'll be prepped. Or if they have enough buckets of food. Enough of Jim Baker's Jim buckets of Baker's food. buckets. Well, I don't have the buckets, but I wish I did. Damn. Doomsday preppers. They're a paranoid army of conservative, right-wing patriots. Angry at the liberal establishment. Conservative. themselves to the teeth right for the wing, Angry at liberals. Conservative, right-wing patriots. Isn't that, isn't that the exact same voice that you most of the conservative patriots you know talking conservative right wing patriots Hello, that's how they I'm talk I'm a conservative patriot <laughs> patriots angry at the liberal establishment and arming themselves to the teeth for the apocalypse it's time to be prepared we can fight a tyrannical government meaning this guy I went deep into the wilderness to meet Rick Austin, a veteran right-wing prepper who believes... Hillary Clinton's running the biggest crime syndicate in the world. So he's fortified himself in an off-the-grid compound because... Doomsday could be just around the corner. And he's serious, even with his guy in office. But now there's a new type of prepper joining the ranks of fringe anti-government reactionaries. I am a liberal prepper. A liberal prepper <laughs> in my neighborhood? I don't think so. Get him out of here. Government with your rights. Are you sure you're not a conservative? Yes. What's the MSNBC lineup? Go. Rachel Maddow, Chris Matthews, Mika Kaczynski. Well done. This is a real dude, a liberal prepper, who's part of a growing movement of thousands of liberals planning for the end of civilization. And we protected his identity because he's worried... Under Trump, this could end up becoming a modern civil war. But there can't be oh, that shit. big of a difference between these two camps of survivalists, Damn. right? Sure, the right wing has had a few more years to prep, but I'm sure that they're basically on the same side. Liberals are going to be the first ones to die because... Most of them are afraid of guns. How many guns did you buy? I don't have a gun. Seriously? I have a ton. Yes, you do. 28 three quarters inches. You it's don't have to brag. And chops. So are you preparing for the apocalypse or an anime convention? So I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of Where's the Daily Show. Where's full body anime pillow then? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the Daily Show. But when you have a very liberal... Ultra, I think we would both agree the Daily Show is very ultra liberal, anti conservative overall. 
Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, especially since Jon Stewart left, there's no yeah. comparison. Yeah. It's so, just like, straight, it's, straight talking points. Straight liberal talking points. And yet even they are having to admit that the conservatives are way better prepared for an apocalypse to where they're, like, cracking jokes at the liberal apocalypse prepper. And he's like, so, like, how many guns do you have? And he's like, oh, I don't have a gun. I have a katana. Yeah, that's not even... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna die in the apocalypse. And he's like, then, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need any. Uh, I don't need any storable food. Yeah, it's like okay. So even the even like the establishment liberal uh, television shows are admitting that conservatives are way better to prepared for an apocalypse. Like it's not even close. Yeah, yeah they're the ones who've been talking about it forever. Right. Like they're yeah. the ones who care about it. They're the ones who are gonna buy the guns, stock up on stuff, hoard things. Like they're the ones who are gonna be ready. And part two of the uh, <laughs> Daily Show liberal versus conservative apocalypse preppers kind of sums that up nicely. Maybe in the apocalypse there won't be conservatives and liberals. They'll just be people that survive. Exactly, mm-hmm. and dead liberals. The <laughs> <laughs> Is he wrong, though? I mean, he is a self-ascribed liberal, and he is saying that there will be the people that survive and dead liberals. No, so, no, no. That, no, that was a conservative saying that. I should preface well, that better. Oh. Yeah. Well, either way, I mean, the people that... Whoever has the guns is going to win at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, you're it's wrong. all about guns, man. I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, it's whoever... Like, in an apocalyptic, anarchic society, the only people, and I mean, this is played out in movies, books, I mean, video games, all kinds of stuff. The people that win are the people with the biggest weapons. The people that can say, hey, I'm going to kill you unless you give me that Twinkie or that, 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 that whatever you got over there that I want. I got this gun. I'll put, you know, I'll just kill you and take it or you can give it to me. You know, that's how it's going to be. Well, is there anything wrong with that, though? I mean, you shouldn't have to be like that. I mean, we are a civilized society. That's only if it becomes an anarchaic, apocalyptic society. Like, I mean, people should be able to, like, you know, handle themselves in front of other people and everything. Are we that civil, though? Well, when was the last time you had to threaten to shoot somebody over, like, a basic necessity? Never. Exactly. Don't you like that? Don't you like not having to risk your life just to not die? No, I agree with you. See what I'm saying? Um, See what I'm picking up on putting down? Yeah, what I'm picking up is we have it pretty well. Yeah. We um, may not have delved real deep into the biblical apocalypse, but we delved deep into a lot of other apocalypse. We didn't delve deep into the Nazi I mean, the uh, the uh, Nazi zombie apocalypse or the regular zombie apocalypse. We didn't delve deep into um, most apocalypses, but we delve deep into the ones that could affect us the most. And I think, yeah. and I think um, we got far enough through to where I can say very clearly that I can go down and eat some uh, tacos because I'm hungry. Um, I think we did pretty good. I think we covered most of it. I think we Sounds covered. 
I think we covered most apocalypses. If we didn't, we'll do another apocalypses later. But for now, fuck apocalypses. World's pretty good, you know. The sun's shining, the wind's blowing, the the Taco Bell's grilling. It's all Amen. Right. Amen. All right. Uh, this Let has been do. this has been the episode about apocalypses. Oh, hey, hey, wait! Look Ayo. what I look what I figured out how to do with like my lips. No, it's my lips. Like it's like it's not even a re- like. Wait, wait. Can you hear me right now? Listen. Listen. Hey, hello. Hello. Dude, guess what? This isn't even a real fart. It's just my lips. Listen to this. It's crazy. Wow, that's so cool. (laughs) I know. Dude, it's probably the coolest thing I've ever done. Well... Um, on that note, <laughs> bye. <laughs> See you.